just the fact that minutes before your video feed started, there was just a picture of Alf. It just we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're off to a great start already. A classic. Uh, yeah, I mean, thank you so much, guys, for uh, for doing this. Uh, I, I mean, I think you might have heard from the if you listen to the episode, but uh, it it was my goal to try to get you guys on the show. Uh, I would have loved to do it, and I just couldn't. I couldn't get. In, I couldn't get in contact with you. Um, oddly enough, I didn't try to email your kickstand comedy email because I just figured you wouldn't respond to that one. I was like, I was like dead set on trying to find a personal email that I didn't just try the one thing that apparently would have worked. Would have worked. Yeah. <laughs> Before we even start talking about anything, uh, I I'd obviously so I have a ton of questions, uh, and I'm sure that you have some thoughts or some things that you are you know based on listening to the episode might want to say. But there's a couple of things that I just wanted to say right off the bat of just like things that I somehow overlooked. One of them is it occurred to me after the episode that Zane Figium is an anagram for Zangief. Yeah, I am Zangief. I am Zangief. And Maggie Hark. Maggie Hark is Mike Hagar yeah. from the Final Fight series. Oh, yeah. See, it occurred to me after. I was like, oh, shit. Like, they just it clicked. And the other thing is Joe... As Shags, I never made that connection that you were Shags. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the guy. I didn't make the connection. I mean, I recognize you now immediately, but yeah, right. <laughs> in the whole research for it and any of my understanding of the story, I never made the connection that Joe, the one of the co-creators of this whole thing, was Shag slash Maggie Hark. I just didn't, yeah, I just yeah, didn't man, realize. That was, it was one of the most uh, terrifying experiences of my life and most, <laughs> most fun as well. So it was that was a good day. Uh, and he seemed to like really, he seemed to buy into me being just a regular internet guy, whatever that means. So. I mean, th this is something I want. This was like a question I was going to ask later, but we might as well just talk about it now since we're talking about it. But like you heard, you heard me talk about it on the show. I loved that part. I loved that yeah, the, part the turn. so much. Yes. That's the best part of it for me is i mean the, i mean obviously many would point to the the rock opera that happens the climax, yeah i was gonna say the rock the rock opera the giant theatrical experience that's not the best part i mean it, it's the best part like the capital letter best part but like the lowercase best part is the part where you like genuinely like metatextually like toe the line between reality and fiction and contrive a situation where you genuinely can surprise him and create real life drama in a thing that is by definition, just kind of a goofy put on. Yeah. And he knew it was goofy, but we wanted to like, we wanted to keep some kind of mystery and storyline going at the same time. And that turned out to be a good way to do it. Well, there weren't a lot of roadmaps for the thing. Like, obviously we didn't know totally what we were doing. Um, but there, there weren't a lot of things we could look to, to say, that's what we want to do. It was really kind of like, what would be the most fun thing in this moment, Joe? Like, what do yeah. you think would be the most interesting or fun thing? And then just kind of, I mean, the whole project was a lot of us learning as we went, obviously. And I think, I think y'all nailed a lot of the, uh, like, yeah, they story built wildly and then had to uh, <laughs> figure out what to do with it and yeah you're very right on some yeah, of those very parts. accurate on that <laughs> about um, like the the whole father time loop story was yeah. basically just taking all the disparate pieces we had over the years and trying to make some sense of it it was yeah. mostly like i think we were driven pretty clearly by what would what would we like to be receiving so if we were on mm -hmm. the other end of this 
what would be very fun for us or surprising for us or interesting for us. And then like, uh, how do we top what we did last year? So that yeah. was like the other driving thing was like, okay, we d- that happened and we were able to pull it off at different levels of success. And like, if we were to, uh, it, as we continue this, how do we make something that's even bigger than the year before? Like, how do we either raise the stakes or do something more surprising or. Yeah. We always wanted to keep him guessing and keep him mm-hmm. surprised. Like from the beginning, unlike what you're saying from the beginning, we wanted to create something that we ourselves would have yeah. loved to receive. So we're like just building from that sort of idea every year. Yeah, I, I think the reason why we we picked up on that or the reason why we sort of zeroed in on that when we were talking about it is because I think we just immediately recognized it because, uh, you know, in, in our in our show, um, you know, our, our show is a you know, it's a it's a deep dive explainer podcast where we take some kind of story and we do this exhaustive, you know, incredibly researched um, exploration of it that kind of is a hybrid of like straightforward explainer. Like here is a script that's talking about this. And then also these kind of like discussions where we kind of pick apart certain philosophical or like sociological aspects of it. But we also have a life that is outside of the show where we're adult boy detectives who in our teenage years, we had a Disney channel show. Uh, We got mega famous from it. And then we sort of used our fame to start a detective agency and we live in our treehouse headquarters with our demon demon roommate uh, and solve crimes. Um, and so we, I think we just immediately recognized just looking at this, like the exact same process where, you know, throughout our show, we're dropping these little breadcrumbs of like, here's a little inside joke. Here's like a bit that we just improv on the spot. Here's something that like a listener said that we take and like turn into a thing. And then, that like 2 a.m. like talking on the phone, like trying to piece it all together into this, like the story of it. And then, uh, you know, just trying to figure out how it, all the puzzle pieces fit together to turn it into some kind of story to do a narrative episode of the show or a season finale or whatever. And so, yeah, we like we immediately were just like, oh, yeah, this is just like this is the the familiar thing that we've done like a million times before, except for they did it over three years in this insane thing, which I don't even know what to call. I've, I've referenced it as like a prank slash ARG. We've struggled with that as well, yeah. to be honest. It's, it's not quite a prank. It's like a positive prank, but it's, um, it's, it's an adventure. Yeah. I don't it's, know. it's hard to fit kind of in a cl- uh, clean box. Yeah. You know, I guess I would call it proto immersive game theater, (laughs) (laughs) but something like that, where because I I would I ended up like basically this the process through the process of this, I changed what I wanted to study at school. And like I got way more into at the time what was kind of known as guerrilla theater and now is kind of looked at a lot more as like interactive and immersive theater and. I knew that I, yeah, I was like, can you, can you take what's on the internet off of it? Can you like bring the internet into real life? And then once we started to play around with that, like a couple years in, we're like, can we take what we've built in real life and put it back in the internet in different ways? And like, can we bring people from real life now back together to like play and collaborate on this adventure in uh, online? So it, it really was like a pretty formative project for for me for sure and like how i wanted to create and what what i wanted to start 
it really like sparked a lot of the things that ended up being what I've done with the last you know 20 years of my life. So, yeah, I mean, I don't I, I mean, what I'm going to say right now is obviously, you know, going to be I don't I don't want to put you on the spot or be too flattering. But, you know, I, I discovered this. I don't even remember how I discovered this, but I discovered this in. I think it, I looked back at an old email trying to find of like when the first time I had ever emailed it to somebody of like, you need to read this to kind of trace back like when I discovered it. And I think that I first discovered this in 2007. Uh, it was a couple years after it had happened. And, you know, uh, Dave, he's a comic book writer and, and illustrator. He makes comics. And for people who make comics, you know, you have like these huge inspirations, like, you know, one of the biggest inspirations I think Dave would say he has is Jack Kirby, creator of all these characters, you know, uh, Fantastic Four and and Captain America, so on and so forth. And like this thing is that for me. Aww. Like yeah. this, this, like Thanks, buddy. I have, I've been so like ridiculously inspired by this whole thing before I even knew, like I, like I discovered that you guys were the ones that did it kind of like recently for doing this episode. I never really knew who did it. I knew that there was like two guys that had like orchestrated it and that in the end you performed on stage with him, but only um, in researching it now did I see the, the thing you did on stage, Dylan, where you told it. Like, I didn't know who you guys were before at all. But yeah, I, I, I was so inspired by this. It has really informed a lot of my, like, outlook on, on creative expression and been heavily inspirational in the things that I do and have done for years. I mean, at the time when I discovered this, I was, I had a sketch comedy group and it heavily inspired the stuff that we did. And I'm not ashamed to say that, like, some of the sketches we did back in those, in that day, like in 2007, 2008 era, were just like, ripped off from this like blatantly <laughs> i like it that's great that's- <laughs> you you you're leaving out the fact that your sketch comedy group which is called i am zangief yeah yeah <laughs> uh the story the story of colin pope uh velocity bomb yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's really that's really cool that's really awesome yeah. to hear i mean that's that's great to hear thank you for saying that yeah i mean it, we didn't know what we were doing when we started it but as like it kind of grew momentum it makes me very happy to hear stories like this because it was so impactful for us as artists and like we knew that we wanted we wanted it to live as this big mystery forever uh, and as it started to kind of be clear that that's no longer possible in like the age of internet, we we just wanted to make sure it was framed as like positive and fr- like like that it's a it was about joy and about fun and about friendship and about Peter Panning it and never growing old and all those <laughs> things. But but ultimately, like um, we you know I, I I love that it was something that kind of allowed people to think about what's possible or allowed to be like oh well. Uh, whether or not you liked the project or liked what we did, you're like, oh, well, I I, I can do a version of that. Or I, now I have a roadmap to kind of seeing how I could do my version of it or do something that was better than that or uh, interesting in the way that I want to explore. So that's it's cool to hear. Yeah. And it was just, just something cool that it, that existed out there that we wanted people to yeah. think exists out there. <laughs> well, it, there, it, it was kind of there weren't that many internet urban legends yet and so it was very cool to think that we like this could potentially be an internet urban legend yeah and the and the third year too was the third year with the rock opera was really where we were like all right we're we're gonna do 
we're going to bring an actual audience into this and there are going to be people there that can prove it was real. Yeah. It's part of the problem. <laughs> part of the problem over the years when Colin was posting on, on the internet about it was a lot of people are like, this is bullshit. You're making yeah. it up. And we were like, no, he's not making it up, <laughs> but we wanted to do something that was really undeniable. And I think the rock opera did that with the yeah. audience and the millions of video that we have. Totally. I'm curious if you guys ever got lost in it. Like, you know what I mean? Like three years is a long time to spend on a project. And especially because it's such a, like you're saying, it's such a, an exuberant, fun, joyous thing. And making art isn't always that fun. Um, so I'm curious if there were periods where you're like grinning and baring your teeth and going, all right, now we got to fucking rent this theater. Come on. I got to scrape together two grand from a credit card or whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, hmm. I think that there were, there were periods of time where we stressed ourselves out. And I, I think, you know, tensions would run high when we knew we were on like j- just a, a deadline that essentially we created where we're like, okay, well, we know we have to do this thing because we bought a plane ticket for Colin to, to go on this adventure. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, there were moments like that. And I, I guess getting lost in it for me, I, I mean, I was obsessed with it for sure. Like this was a, it, it was an absolute obsession for better or worse. Yeah. Uh, for me of like, I, I got very into, like, I knew that th- this was like my purpose for a long time. It felt like it was like, it gave me the the highest levels of joy in my life and the highest levels of accomplishment. And not everything did give me that <laughs> in my life at that time where I felt great about what I was doing. And it was, it was fun. And it, it was, well, there was a high to it, you know, oh, for so sure. I was definitely chasing that. Um, and, and so I, w- I would lose myself in it in that way where I definitely, you know, my grades suffered or, or schoolwork would suffer or relationships would suffer because, but I, I was pretty singularly focused on it as the, as the outcome. I like knew whatever I was doing day to day. The end result was that this, this took priority often over my own bullshit or, or not bullshit real, like real life stuff. So I think in, in that ways, but that's, that's also kind of just growing not growing up, I guess growing up, but like being a young 20 something trying to figure it out. Um, yeah, this I mean, this project was we we planned it and wrote it every year. We were in college. So during the college year when we were separate, he was in Chicago. I was in Philadelphia. We'd write stuff. We'd uh, you know ideate on like what the hell we were going to do. And then in the summer, we'd get together and actually yeah. do it. So in the summer, we got together, actually made the first book. In the summer, we made the first adventure. In the summer was, well, actually, the winter was the final yeah, final rock opera. But, but that was when it, like, by that point, I was year-round on it. Yeah, we were, that was like a year and a half of yeah. writing and stuff. Yeah, but that was also where I was just like, why don't I just meld the two together? Like, this is what I want to be doing. And I don't know if there's any, like, <laughs> career path in it. But it's like, I can certainly make it what I what I do in school. And, and it it just became my senior project. So the rock opera was like my final grade for my degree. Was there a depression? Like, you know, you had the highest of the highs and then when it was over, was it like grieving or was it a relief? Cause it was done. A process for sure. There was some grieving. I think after like the second year and after the rock opera, yeah. I felt like I was relieved. I was relieved. It went so well and we had fun. And yeah. I was like, so nervous on that day, on that, that day where I was playing shags, but Afterwards, it was it was like, oh, there was that I realized there was that big high and yeah. we were like, you know, it was over. So I think, yeah, the grieving. I mean, I guess in some ways I still grieve it, like for sure, where there's definitely a part of me. And especially as I get older, where I meditate on like, was this 
the best thing I'll ever do. <laughs> like, is this the thing? Yeah. Like, I did it pretty young, uh, and not that many people know about it. But like, is this going to be the thing that def- kind of like is my defining creative output? Uh, and so that that is, the, I think, is still part of this weird grieving process as I, you know, try to continue to create and 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 make in my life. So I don't know. That's some. That's definitely something that still occasionally creeps into my head as like a little ghoul talking to me in the middle of the night. We should do, we should do another. <laughs> I should do it again. It's just the time we're 40. Yeah. Now it's much better because we're 40. <laughs> just have to get another like 40 year old. So yeah. 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 Crazy. Now we got to find a really depressed 40 year old. Yeah. I can't imagine where we find that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that that can happen a lot with like you, you do something, you make something and then like, down the line after some time has gone by you kind of look back on it and you're just like how did i do that like you you almost like it's like a di- disembodied thing or a disassociative still, thing like i can't believe it so we did yeah. that it's crazy and listen like dude listening to you both talk uh, talk through it and i loved the dramatic readings and oh, yeah. i mean every other sentence was something i had completely forgotten like it, it truly <laughs> was it's like a while uh, like obviously we know the cliff notes and the broad strokes, but it, like all the specifics, may, like because so much happened so fast, it really was a treat hearing y'all like get into some of the specifics that I, I know for for me I had like completely forgotten about. See now I'm see, me usually when we have people on the show to talk about stuff, they either a aren't aware of who we are or b haven't listened to the episode. Oh, we listened to the episode yeah. for sure. Part of me is like, fuck, did I say anything offensive? Did I like make fun of me? We have to clear up some things. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're really here. No, I mean, I I think that for, I mean, all the broad strokes were, I thought were really well done. And, and like, like we said, I think a lot of the meta and the themes you guys hit on really well. And we, we talked, we were talking yesterday, even where I think there, there were a lot of things that we did that I don't know if we, like, I'm no psychologist, but looking back to, I think there's a lot you can read into the, the, uh, the choices we made, even when they seemed silly or frivolous often still fit with the theme because it, it really was, it really truly at its core is about like childhood friendships and like trying like to me, at least, and I don't know, like I've always <laughs> felt like, th- you know, Joe and I have known each other since we were six yeah, and we grew up together in Minnesota. And this was a way that connected us to keep in touch and keep that bond mm-hmm. that we always had as kids. We found Colin by searching for our friend That's who right. had moved away when we were kids. Yeah. Our long lost friend. Yes. Yeah, so we would had like put into a search engine, uh, our friend's name and we found a picture of his little brother on Colin's website. So it was like the loss of this friend is what kind of was the catalyst for us even finding this website. And then the whole thing ends with us making a new friend <laughs> with another kid. So yeah. like for me, at great cost. yeah, at great cost. <laughs> So, so I, I, I definitely feel like that is, is such a clear theme of this idea of like growing, growing older and, and ha- what, what happens with like childhood friendships and, and what do you hold on to and what, what changes and what shifts and moves. And, you know, this is definitely uh, an entire piece that really uh, tooth and nail claws for you to stay, uh, stay like silly and, uh, connected through pop culture and and youth, so I, I think that that I think that even looking back on it, I still see stuff that I wasn't self aware of as we were making it. That now is like screaming uh, the things that I was feeling at the time. So 
it's it's so weird because that's it's so similar to kind of how our show is we we've discussed this before where it's kind of the same thing where uh looking back on our show and other things i've done in the past i have like a similar obsession with like friendships or like litigating the dynamics of friendships and how they grow or decay or uh you know almost like romanticizing uh platonic friendships because i don't think i had many friends when i was younger and so a lot of the things that i make are about friendships and like our whole show is just that i mean we said it in the episode i'm now remembering that's that we talked about that in the episode that like the whole the our our the the show is like almost about that specific thing of like a romanticized like cartoon version of a friendship that I didn't have whenever I was a kid. Um, that yeah, and and I think you know, what I was curious about just to start off like from the beginning, um, you know, you got you you talked about you know a lot of the reasons why you did this, so you you know we don't, that's not a mystery, but I guess I wanted to talk about you know some of your motivations for like you know, why you latched on to this whole idea of like, once you discovered Colin and you discovered this like tiny social media website that he had, like why you know, why did you latch on bef- long before this, the Velocity Gnome saga even became a thing? You know, why did you latch on to this whole thing of keeping tabs with him? Because I, I think it's, it's such a uniquely our generation, like late Gen Xer to millennial thing as the internet was coming up that you do, it sounds maybe kind of weird at, at surface level of like, why did you become obsessed with like looking at these, these people's lives? But I feel like it's, if people were honest with themselves, I feel like it's kind of common because I had, I did similar things whenever I was younger. Like there was people where like, my friends would like div- like develop like a fascination with some random person over AOL Instant Messenger, and it's like we weren't necessarily friends with them, but we would just kind of like observe their lives, and there would be these kind of like weird characters that we would glom onto, and like three of my friends would all be talking to this random person in Virginia that we just think their lives are just very bizarre and fascinating. Like I feel like that's a uniquely um, a unique thing to our generation that grew up with the internet before social media. So I, yeah, I was just curious about like, you know, you guys exploring like why you kind of latched onto that and what, what that fascination was. Um, I think it wasn't, I think the big thing is it wasn't the first time we yeah. like did internet, the internet hijinks, I guess, with, with people that we didn't necessarily know, but we knew things about them because they post things. And I think, I don't want to get too much into the shadow. No, I mean, I, 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 you, you say what you're going to say. And I'll, I'll say my <laughs> okay. version, but I can cover that. Because um, uh, we, one of the, the big things that sticks with me is at the time we thought the internet was only for like pranking or griefing or like making, making ourselves laugh, but more at sort of the expense of people. And after a while of doing that when we were younger, like 13, 14, 15 with AOL chat rooms and stuff, we, it just, I don't know, it just became a, it became a, a goal of us. Like, what if we could do something positive with this? What if all these stories about the internet and these creeps on the internet, what if there could be a positive stalking story? <laughs> so what you're saying is you guys were bullies and then you reformed. Yes. It wasn't that we were bullies. <laughs> like no, I we were, that, but I mean, we were definitely 
nerdy kind of outcasty like uh, we got, i got aol at like 12 and uh we had like the family computer and i spent all the any any amount of time i could possibly squeeze in sitting in chat rooms and pretending to be different people and yeah. i was you know a 40 year old dude and a 16 year old lesbian and just like uh, sending pictures that i'd you know you you just copy and paste something from the internet and send that as, like a random picture that's like oh this is me and it's just like you know a stock photo from a sears catalog and i i think that you know i was also as we all were at that period of time kind of finding out who you were a little bit more and figuring out like your moral compass or ethical lines. Yeah. And so we did a lot of things and, and me specifically too, where I would like impersonate people. So I did a lot of uh, like baiting on aim. And so I would search back then you could search instant messenger for screen names by interest. So I would put in something like dragon ball Z or fishing <laughs> And it would like give you screen names that said that this is an interest of theirs. And so then I'd use that as an opening gambit to start talking to them. And I'd be like, oh man, that last episode of Dragon Ball Z was awesome, right? And then they'd say like, oh, who is this? And I'd be like, you know who this is. And then they'd be like, Jack? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm Jack. And so I would start documenting the web of names they'd give me and start to be able to like reverse engineer what was happening in their life to have a conversation with them. And yeah. so it started in these like very weird proto like teenage trying to like figure out where the lines were and what was like it. Cause it was funny, but it was also like, I could obsess over that. I could like build out a story world around who this person's friends were, what was going on in their life. And then in some ways it would shift into darker stuff. Like when, so, you know, we, there was basically there was one thing that we felt like we went too far. And that was with an uh, online guy by the name of Shags. This is where Shags came where from. Shags came from. And so we felt pretty bad about it. And it kind of it was one of the other catalysts that at, as we found calm, we were like, we went too far. And that was we were like, we went too far. And that was pointless. It was pointless. It wasn't funny. It was another nerd like us. And we did something that potentially made him feel worse. Yeah. And we pretended to be like a teenage girl and asked him to meet us at an Arby's and like order <laughs> big Montana's. And if you ordered four big Montana's, we would appear was like our big <laughs> joke. Okay. And so we and then we we're like, oh, we're not even going to drive by. We're not even going to look. And we totally drove by. And we totally saw him hanging out with like big Montana's on the hood of his car. And we knew that like we had gone too far and it felt awful and we just felt like shit. And so as we, you know, but we didn't stop doing instant messenger stuff, but like that kind of informed where our line was and what we felt was like ethical. Yeah. And it, it helped us reframe like what we actually wanted to be doing with this weird thing we were doing. I feel like everybody who, found the internet when they were i have no idea what's happening right now in terms of people who are coming of age during the internet i think it still does happen it just happens in a very different way probably more dangerous <laughs> but like i think i feel like everybody that had instant messenger that had early you know myspace stuff every i'm not gonna say everybody i'm gonna say every nerdy dude has either done that to someone or had that done to them yeah yeah, it's gone the other way for me too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, a hundred percent have. I never led. I never led anyone to Arby's, but 
You're missing out. Yeah, Arby's was a staple in our joke. Like, yeah, again, it's like another one of these just weird inside joke things that we created. And what we were hoping to do with Colin was like bring Colin into those jokes and develop. And essentially we developed them with Colin and the internet as the thing went on. We were create we were like using pop culture as the language of like trust to develop a relationship with him and these people. So and, and there was a lot of like we wanted to signal to him that yeah. this was safe, that yeah. like we weren't going to do anything that he would murder. Yeah, we're not going to murder you. <laughs> uh, but we didn't want to let him know. We didn't let him know who we were. And yeah. we kind of wanted him to keep thinking that we were just one of his friends who hadn't told him this was happening yet. And he, he did for a while. Well, that's until what, the art exhibit. Yeah, that's what he assumed was that it was a friend doing it. And then once he Which, eliminated, he? Yeah. once he eliminated his friends, then I think it got more interesting for the internet. I I, I wanted to ask about the Arby's thing because when we saw that when we, when we were like talking about the Arby's thing, it was so funny because we talk about I talk about Arby's all the time on the show. Great place You're with some uh, like-minded fellows. We got the meat. Uh, I'm I'm a huge I'm a huge uh, Arby's apologist. Yeah, I'm yeah, a, me too. I'm a horsey stand myself. Early fries. Like people make fun of Arby's because it became a meme because John Stewart did it on the Daily Show. Him and the Simpsons. Yeah, and it's one of those things where people think that they think that Arby sucks because of the meme, but it's like a simulacrum where they don't actually hate Arby's. They're just like allowing their opinion to be shaped by the meme. And like, when when's the last time you ever went to fucking Arby's? You never you've never gone to Arby's. You don't you have no opinion on Arby's other than the Not meme. Last week. That you. <laughs> a couple of questions that kind of, I guess, all just kind of fit in in together. You know, I was going to ask like what the significance of Zangief is within it, but I guess the bigger question is like, what were the inspirations behind the story that you put together? Like, why did you choose the patchworks of the story that you built? So I think with Zangief and and Mike Hagar is the other one. Like, so we we grew up playing a lot of Street Fighter and beat 'em ups. And so these characters had significance to us personally, but in the Capcom universe, they also have storylines together. And so (laughs) Zangief and Mike Hagar are both professional wrestlers in the Capcom universe. And they, so Mike Hagar ends up becoming the mayor of Metro city and is the protagonist. One of the, the, the uh, playable characters in final fight where he's the mayor, like beating his way through the city with a pipe. And, and Zangief is, you know, the red Russian cyclone. And there's a storyline about how they stole each other's moves. And it was just so silly to, I mean, this was, well, this yeah. is for me, like one of the reasons why I, I always thought it was like a funny place as like, we were developing our characters more. It's funny that we're like these, and I've always been obsessed with like muscly men. Like it's <laughs> something I've never been. And I, it was, you know, definitely an avatar I would always choose. Um, you know, you can look into that however you want. And uh, so I, I knew that as we were creating this kind of weirdly, it, like they were very hyper masculine, silly characters for something that was just so nerdy, so nerdy, yeah, uh, and that it felt like a fun and like Art Schwarzenegger as well, just as a, a through line of like kind of these Terminator themes, and um, and so it was kind of a mix of shit we liked, stuff that had some kind of relationship and story that we thought was silly or funny within video game lore because we were creating our own lore. I think it made sense in our head that we would also like adapt and use existing lore yeah, to and, supplement it. And Zangief and Mike Hagar. Yeah. They were just kind of our avatars because at first we didn't, 
we didn't really exist in his world. So mm-hmm. we wanted to create some kind of avatars for us in Colin's yeah. world. And I guess those just, those were our, came from our yeah. psyches. <laughs> yeah, I get, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, there, there should be a, a companion podcast. that's just a psychologist talking to us about our what, childhood problem, <laughs> what our, what our issues are. Uh, but I, yeah, I think there's a lot to look into here, but uh, they're, they're definitely, I mean, some of it, like looking back, I think that that was the, the spark was just that there was existing lore that we thought would be fun to play with and mesh in because also it was like proto internet times where it was fun when someone said, Oh, that's this, or, Oh, that's earth slide, or that's uh, from this. And it was like before, you're you're you know you're doing that watching loki and everyone thinks they're a fucking genius and uh oh look at that uh, that's a character i know that's kang yeah uh anyways oh all i'll say is that um yeah that uh the gem missile stuff the earth slide stuff that was also pulled from a game that we used to play with our friends growing up uh secret of mana and um which we all play, we, Joe and I played together many, many times. Many times, and, and then whenever we got together, we'd play Street Fighter. So it's yeah. kind of like, kind of came out of that, I guess. You played the co-op of Secret of Mana together? We've played through that many game times. three-player with the Tribal Tap uh, three times, I believe. At least, yeah. So three characters active. Well, I only I only got to play it solo. Uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a simpler time. Still a good game. <laughs> uh, what... I guess is there you know I ha- there's some other questions here but is there anything like listening to the episode and is there anything that you guys wanted to talk about or any thoughts that you had or any like you were wrong about this or whatever like I I definitely I want to leave the floor open to that you were you were right about the actors in the rock opera all kind of getting to create their own characters yeah um so they they got to like choose their names and create their characters and um I worked with them on. So basically they developed their characters with me and then I helped them helped us all like turn it into kind of an adventure and then how that adventure would, uh, would, uh, work its way into the rock opera. So yeah. It was basically, we, there was an adventure in the, in the college town nearby that they took Colin through for basically the first half of the rock opera and all of that was being displayed on a big screen at the rock opera where the audience was already gathering but um, so yeah, just to clarify that and back it up. So, okay. yeah, so we, we made a whole exhibit of the final project. So throughout the day, people were milling about the exhibit. And then the centerpiece of the exhibit was this projector screen where you were seeing a live feed of Colin's adventure throughout the day as he made his way closer to the theater. And a lot of that stuff, I mean, we we arranged for what they would be doing more or less that day. But a lot of the the stuff they did and the lines they had were yeah. really coming from them. Like they, they Shockingly. got what we were trying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were, we, they knew what the overall story was and what we were trying to do. And we were so busy putting together the rock yeah. opera itself that we were like, you guys, you got this. <laughs> and they Cause, did. Cause like, yeah, for a lot of the adventure stuff that was generally, there might have been a line or two that had to get hit, but it was a lot of improv for the rock opera. We basically wrote a version of it where we had at least two different versions of lines depending on how Colin reacted in the moment. So if it was a central like bottleneck point where he had to make a choice or had a decision to make, we had a version where he made the right choice and a version where he made the wrong choice that the actors are all fairly familiar with. So there was a little bit of improv, but we did basically write two lines at least for the different ways it could go. Yeah. But overall, like we, we still, 
constructed it so that it couldn't lead to a dead end of course like we always wanted to be able to move the story along but i mean an example of that is when he got uh zane's favorite actor wrong and then we asked the audience basically the audience starts yelling it out and we were like we wanted to make that an option so it didn't just come to a screeching halt we tried to game out you know obviously we didn't always succeed but for the most part we were able to game out like fail safes and you know some of that stuff was you guys pointed out like the 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 code in the book the secret uh in the book was like we knew that we would need something at some point that would help us uh but we didn't assign it like when we put the code in the book we didn't know what it was going to do but we knew that that code was going to help us in the future and it would give us an out and a fail safe for like if something else happened plus it'll look really cool when he finds yeah yeah exactly plus it'll be surprising and fun you were hiding the turkey leg in the wall in Castlevania. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the most logical item possible nice to find in Castle Dracula. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, I, yeah, that was something that uh, I, and I guess like, I don't know if y'all had any other questions about the, the rock opera, but, but that was basically the idea was that you, the audience was seeing Colin get closer to the theater on the projector screen. And so they were also, and then the rock opera itself, the first half was lore. So it was like, this is the story of Velocity Gnome and how he saves the future. And then halfway through the rock opera, Colin actually enters. Everyone kind of loses their mind. And then Colin had to make the choice, like, are you going to play along with this or are you going to freak out? Is it going to be too much? And, and Colin and the Velocity Gnome was always great. Like yeah. he always went above and beyond in terms of like playing along and getting into it. Yeah, because I mean, I-, I consider Colin a writer, <laughs> like basically Colin was creating this thing along with us and it didn't work without him. Um, the fact that he like he, he definitely is the third creator of the project, because if it was anybody else, it, pr- it probably wouldn't be what it was. Yeah. And you make some good points in the podcast about like, uh, you know, it could have gone terribly wrong with yeah. the wrong person or done approached in the wrong way. And you also make a really good point about him being a white man in yeah. uh, some of the stuff we had him do was like, could be risky if he weren't. Yeah. And also we're two white guys. So. Yeah. I mean, I, we, it was definitely an area that I didn't spend a fucking second thinking about because I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah, jerk off kid. Yeah. So I, I mean, now looking back on it, I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that something like this could be made in the same way, obviously. Um, but I also think that you mean like today? Yeah. Today. Uh, but, but I think that it really does reflect the time that, that it happened. And I, I, I never felt like it was an unsafe project. I think it was a risky, there were, there were moments that looking back on it, if I had to redo, there were safer ways to do things or less risky ways to do things. But, um, I think overall, I, I feel good looking back about the level of consent that we got from Colin. There's yeah. a, there's a couple things that push that limit. And I, you know, in, in the work that I do, I, I, I mean, consent is intensely important. Um, like basically people should know what they're getting into. And then once they're, once they agree to that, your job as a creator sometimes is to push that limit, uh, that they've agreed to, um, not, not to go past the limit, but to be like, okay, you said, these are the rules within these rules. I want to make you feel a certain way, or I want to make you, uh, like, since you, you committed to this. And I think that was just the language we didn't have back then, or I didn't have back then with, with the project. And yeah, or like, you know, most 19 year olds or 20 year olds. Um, but now were we to do it again, I think we would have found a creative way to basically have verbal consent from, uh, Colin uh, at the beginning. And we kind of, we circumvented it with the books. Like that was kind of our, like we had these weird things that were handshakes 
uh, of like, yes, yeah, we mean, both like this. We wanted we wanted to kind of get consent, but we weren't t- really ever talking to him directly. Yeah. And and I didn't know what I didn't, didn't know the concept well enough to really fucking understand. Yeah. So we were always kind of like pushing it a little more and being like seeing what his reaction was. Like, yeah. is this OK? Is this OK? I mean, the 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 plane ticket in his in his mailbox was probably the biggest one. Yeah. The one to Minneapolis. That's what I was going to say is like, obviously, there's a bit of a gamble in the beginning of like, how is he going to react to this? But once he got on that plane, it's like he's in like he's all in when he showed up at the airport in Minneapolis. I I remember got picked up by the gatekeeper. We were like, he's actually coming. (laughs) (laughs) He actually got on the plane. And so we're like, all right, we're we're go. Here we go. Because we were all prepared and it could have just been. Like, and I, I was nervous still that there, there was n- nerves at the rock opera that it, this was going to be the step too far that like making him perform in front of uh, like 300, 400 people was going to be this thing that was that that uh, was too, too much or too shocking. And I, I, I felt better as the day went on, but I still there was always that question mark until he opened his mouth. But the second he opened his mouth, he was like. I'm here to save the world. Basically, yeah. was like the, essentially the first line out of his mouth. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Like, we, you know, so some of the episodes that we've done in the past, and by virtue of that, just the deep rabbit holes that we've gone down in like researching and learning about things. Um, you know, we we did an episode about this sprawling episode about uh, Andrew WK and this concept that he there's a conspiracy theory about how he may or may not be this like this creation that's owned by a corporation that's played by multiple characters. <laughs> and we sort of, we, we did this deep dive into that. And, you know, basically what we ended up uh, determining is that that's not true. That's actually a story that he's created. And he's actually a performance artist who has crafted this whole world around himself. That's part promotion for himself as an artist and part, just like performance art uh, and a satire on the music industry. He's yeah. cool, man. I like Andrew WK. Yeah, I, I I love I love him so much. Sometimes people think that we like don't like him because we did this episode and we and they think that we're calling him out and saying he's a fraud or whatever. But like, I fucking love him. Um, but, you know, because of that episode and some of the other episodes, I've almost become like a conspiracy theorist of like delving into episodes and like trying to parse out what's real and what's not real. Like I get really lost in that. So I'm not going to lie that in the deepest depths of researching this, I, there was moments where I'm like, are they in on it together? Like, is this whole thing just a performance art thing? And Colin is just like part of it. Like I got lost in that. And I think part of that is because of how perfect he is for it. Like that's the part where it's almost unbelievable. So I guess, you know, my question is like, what percentage of that was just total luck? What percentage of that was like you getting a feel for thinking that he was going to be into it? Like, I it, that's the part that's like so like, uh, no, just like that's the part that is can where you're just like, man, like, how did this work so well? Well, we touched on it earlier when we were talking about, you know, why did you obsess about the or the research or why this kid? But like, I mean, that to me is like, there's no way we could have known what was going to happen. Yeah, not exactly. But we had, we had a pretty good sense that this guy was similar to us in nerdiness. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what we were, when we were reading his away messages for literally a year, like we were literally logging his away messages by day and reading everything that was on his community friend website. Oh, let me mention one thing about that first book is the quotes that are in there 
on every page were away messages he had over the past year. So it was like very clear someone was following what following, he was doing. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, yeah, creepy, obviously. Yeah. Which I, I think at the time we also like, I think that was part of the vibe we wanted, but like we, I don't know. I, I know that like part of the edge lordy young person thing was like, okay, we want this person to know we've been following them, but it needs to be a singularly positive, fun thing. So how can we make it jokey? Yeah. Um, and so I think that like, you know, we were watching him play through Xenos gears or oh, Xeno saga or whatever. And he would put his updates there on his away messages every day. And so like, oh, we, yeah. we got a good sense of who Colin was. And we also got a sense that like, we were, that we were kindred in, in the way that we were also, uh, kind of dorks who were unsatisfied in certain areas of our life. Um, and, and, and we made it to the, we made it to this like epiphany that essentially like we should do something cool and singularly something singularly fun that this person will enjoy yeah. and that will be a mystery forever that they'll never get an answer to it. That's cause, right. Cause it was just supposed to be the book. That yeah, was the whole project. The first year was the just first the, the first book was just the first book. And that was supposed the, to be it. The yeah. adventure was just the adventure and then it was going to be the end. Yeah. And then we were like, no, it's, we've got to like make this, we've got to wrap this up in like a really big, climax and that was the rock yeah. opera but and uh what was the, the original question oh go let me just say one yeah. thing the um the first book the first year that we gave him just the book where dylan went to his door and said it was from the future when we saw what colin had done the next day and gone online and yeah. scanned everything and talked about what happened and was like really excited about it we knew i think we knew then that we we're yeah. like okay this is this was fine yeah and we could pop and then in the future when we were thinking of new stuff to do we were like we could probably just like keep amping this yeah. up. No, hundred percent. I yeah, I think that was you know a very roundabout way to answer the question, but like <laughs> we got a sense of who Colin was, and we got a sense of you know we, we started to play together, and then once we felt like this was still fun, we continued to play together, and we built that rapport over years as characters in this weird world, and so by the time we got to the rock opera, like it was we felt like we knew each other really well, but we'd never interacted outside of our characters. Yeah. Like at any point. Yeah. There was never any like behind the scenes, you know, being like dropping kayfabe yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Like when we took a bow, I, we a turned to call That's... him and we shook his hand and like introduced ourselves. And that was the first time we yeah. met. Yeah. I, and it, it's, that's so, it's just so crazy that it, that worked out that way because, you know, the person could have been not into it, but also the person could have been into it, but just like not good at like playing along and not good at solving puzzles or like there, like there's so many variables that, that could have not worked at all. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting thing you bring up about what if he doesn't, what if he can't figure it out kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And that was really the genesis of where shags came from is like, well, if one of us is there and pretending to be yeah. just another kid from the internet if things go wrong which yeah. things really didn't but if things go wrong we i, I could be there to be like oh look correct. over here like maybe it's this maybe this is the answer which didn't i don't think we really maybe the only thing that was wrong was when he went he didn't go to chuck e cheese first he went yeah, to the place next door place and i was like what about this chuck e cheese <laughs> <laughs> it has robots yeah, yeah. but uh it, yeah we, we definitely lucked out too um and i, I mean the the result of picking Colin besides like getting the, like it, 
it it was random but then once the random act happened it was no longer random yeah. if that makes sense where it was like it could have been anybody on this site um but it happened to be this person and at that point forward it we had an we had enough information to make a better guess or a better educated like assessment and then you know now looking back you know we've been fr- good buddies with Colin now for 15 years so it's definitely like we we definitely built a relationship that uh was the the foundation of what became an actual friendship so yeah you know joe you we you talked about earlier um just how nerve-wracking it was to play shags and you know in addition to what i said earlier about how i just love that part because of the way that it like metatextually twists the story yeah that moment when we were going into this forest and i'm like holding onto the phaser in my pocket and i'm like all right i'm about to, i'm gonna do this <laughs> <laughs> and it was i was like my heart was beep, uh, beeping my heart was beating uh so heavily but it, it turned out well i mean like it's, it's funny actually when i pulled the phaser on him the first thing he did was like try to make a lunge for the shovel like he was gonna hit me with a shovel. <laughs> I had to be like, whoa, 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 yeah, don't move, don't move there. And he, I think he got the idea, but uh, it was it was a little dicey yeah. at first. I didn't know how he would react, you know. I mean, so many of these things were like proto blank, like they were before we had. Like I, I've used the the term like a roadmap before, but like I didn't know what LARPing was before this and what we were doing was LARPing. And I didn't know what immersive theater was and what we were doing was immersive theater. And I didn't know, you know, what a a lot of these things that we were doing didn't feel like they had a name or a box or a category in the way that they do now. So we were really like blindly fumbling through just what was exciting, uh, like what felt like the most exciting outcome. And so, like, in that moment... And we threw a lot of stuff yeah. at it, too. That There's a lot of stuff that didn't really work. <laughs> there's a lot of... Yeah. There's definitely a lot of stuff that is, like, I think just gets glossed over in the story because it's... it's For a good reason. Yeah, like, it's, it's, just, it's like matter. it was either silly, didn't make sense fully, um, like, or, or just wasn't believable in the narrative that was building online. So Colin chose not to include it. And I think what that is a really salient point uh, also is that like this was fully through the lens of Colin. So the internet myth and what everyone has learned about the story was purposefully, we, we wanted to stay completely hands off so that it was Colin's story so that the narrative that people got to hear was directly from the savior of the future. Um, that was kind of a, a, an important thing. He even made most of his website, the future shock.com uh, before coming to the rock opera like most of the pages were done he had written them and then i don't think he asked us for any like input other than like if we had pictures and things. yeah afterwards he asked about some pictures but yeah i mean that was really important um that this and so by virtue of that because people online wanted to believe it was real or wanted to you know there were a lot of different ways people interacted with this story and like what they wanted to get out of it. Colin did a really exceptional job curating what he felt would continue the legend. And so like, there are some really fucking stupid things that are silly and funny that we still have that, you know, don't really make sense in the narrative of like, this could be weirdly real or, you know, uh, once, once it was like, obviously this is not necessarily real, but then maybe this even breaks it even further in a certain way. So, so that curation was also really cool and important uh, for Colin to 
to make. Yeah, for for example, in that second box that he dug up in the uh, in the forest in the adventure year, uh, <laughs> we had we had a VHS of Star Trek: The Next Generation yeah. episode, The Inner Light, that we really liked. But that, it was it was because the star date on the one of the Colin Popes from the, the like the time loop was, was the start date from inner light. <laughs> okay. And also, and we also had, there was a whole thing in the second book about how in the future, the currency, the currency would be your, how good you are at uh, Robocop three for the SNES. And we had a whole Robocop three for the SNES walkthrough video in that box that he never put online. <laughs> Straight up. It's, it's literally like two hours of us trying to beat this game through and then giving hot tips of like, because like, yeah, with the idea that in the future, how you buy services and goods are with your proficiency at RoboCop 3. So I don't know. There were, there were some things that were better left on the cutting room yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, much like Much like the film RoboCop 3. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's Fucking true. weird movie. left off more. Yeah. That's interesting, though, because I, I was going to say that the genius of Colin is how well he documented everything like that. The, the, I mean, both are true. Like he, he documented the hell out of it. It's interesting, though, because I was just thinking like, oh, like he just documented everything to the point where you're almost you can walk through it like a forensic like you could you could throw all that stuff into into like a machine and have a hologram like recreate it because it's so in depth. But it's interesting that he. Uh, that he actually curated and chose like what to show for narrative significance. I I, I think that's interesting because I I didn't think of it that way. I was just thinking like, oh yeah, he he took pictures of everything, which is obviously very helpful in reading about it and you know getting a sense of the story that without having been there. Certainly helpful for doing this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, there wasn't a ton that he left out, but I, I think the things that were left out were left out for a good reason. Like, it, it really was just, like, streamlining kind of the story he was telling with his, like, his experience. Because it was his. It was supposed to be his. And hell, maybe he thought that posting something like the essay, the RoboCop 3 would make it look fake or something. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I've never asked him about yeah. that. But, uh... Yeah, I know. He just thought you guys sucked at the game, and he's like, I can't, I can't embarrass it's you guys. It's a fucking hard it's game. Really hard. <laughs> it really is not a good That's why game. It's currency in the future. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there was, I guess, the other thing that I thought would be cool to talk about a little bit that you guys didn't cover much was your, um, the, oh, yeah. the, uh, the realm. So after the North Tonawanda art exhibit, where he finds, so essentially he, puts his uh, black light against the wall. And he, all that was on the wall was like a date and a time and a place. And he took that date, time and place, which was when chapel, uh, September something, 2004 or whatever. And he put it online and the internet helped him solve where this was. So everyone was looking for a physical location in the world. And it ended up being inside of an abandoned MMORPG. So this was a game called The Realm that Joe played when he was a kid, but now was just like a relic of like a, a, a just a weird yes. online game that nobody played. Yeah, anymore. it's kind of a ghost town. Like there's still some old people that are playing it, but it's it's like weirdly empty. So we I, I cannot tell you this is a good example of how much time we fucking wasted on <laughs> not wasted, spent, but just spent, well spent well spent time. So I we like took this game and appropriated the architecture and created a scavenger hunt with items we created in the game and renamed. And so we hid all these parts of, you know, Maggie Hark 
uh, around the game in like specific different areas. And then I leveled up characters for months so that they'd be powerful enough to not be killed so that we could, <laughs> we could uh, manipulate the adventure and have a story happen inside the realm. And it was really like where Zane Figium actually turns traitor. Yeah. It was in the realm part yeah. where he actually turns against Colin and the gatekeeper and yeah. fights him with his high level. So it was like, it, it's, it's weird and it's silly, but I do look back at that as a really interesting part of the adventure that because essentially Colin had to convince a bunch of people to create realm accounts and come into this game. So like come off. Yeah, people from the forums yeah, were with him. From a come off something awful, and he took about 30 to 40 people inside this game to help him do this like narrative adventure that we were we wrote within the architecture of the realm. <laughs> and so <laughs> if this makes sense at all. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that that was like a pretty cool part. Uh, and we do have some footage of like the gameplay that was happening in the dialogue, but we had a whole script. Like we were putting in dialogue into the chat that everyone could read. That we already read, um, yeah. and uh, and we told the story inside this game in a in a, I think a pretty cool way. Yeah, I was basically trying to get across that whole father time loop yeah. thing to him before we even gave him the uh, actual script, and, more or less. Yeah, and so the, the theater, the climax is my character who I've obsessively leveled for months, uh, destroys everybody at the end and kills everyone's avatar. And then in real life, Colin's doorbell rings at the same time. And that's when he gets his tickets to Star Wars episode, episode three. So, that, did, did you know about that part where he went to the Star Wars? Yeah. They talked about I it, think right? So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, what a good timestamp. Couldn't ask for a better timestamp. <laughs> Star Wars episode three. <laughs> I thought about that a lot because I was at an, a Star Wars episode three pr- midnight premiere at the same time. So I've just been, I've just thought of that, of like the fight, the American tale, like we were looking up at the same moon as, as this yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was just something I thought would might be interesting to y'all about, like that w- there isn't a lot of information about. Oh yeah, yeah. That I there wasn't much information about that. So I, you know, I kind of like filled in some of the gaps with just assumptions and just based on what I could see. I just it seemed like it seemed like you guys had like put together some kind of crude um, little like over glorified chat room, basically where there was like a chat room and then there was just kind of avatars. Cause that, that, that was really, there's just a couple screenshots of it and really no information. It's about basically it. like a point and click adventure game looking thing, but you're moving from screen to screen. Like you, you move like, like you would in King's quest, but it's an MMORPG. Yeah. It's, it's from like the, it's like early internet stuff. Yeah. Like it must be mid nineties, early nineties. Yeah. Is that possible? Late nineties. Mid nineties. Yeah. Mid nineties. Uh, Joe, in, at the beginning, you said there was stuff you wanted to clear up or stuff that we had gotten wrong. Was that- yeah, I, was just, I was mostly just joking. I mean, the one thing... That he's alive. Yeah, that I... <laughs> I'm still alive. Um, yeah, no, just... Uh, I know you had mentioned there was that stuff about, um, like, did we name Lazon? And, you know, he was... He cleared that up with, like... They named themselves basically, but no, there was, there was, I was just joking for the most part, which, which, I, which I thought that was, that was my guess. <laughs> no, you, my, you were my, great. <laughs> like you, you really nailed some of those things where we're like, okay, good. They got, well, <laughs> and, that, and that also opened the door to like, you got, you guys being really spot on with just how many of our friends helped with this project. Yes. Like Dil- we- Dylan is a master of pulling people together <laughs> and getting, getting friends to do really insane things. And 
we had a lot, we had a lot of friends that were just, just helping us. I mean, of course we weren't paying anybody. Yeah. It was just for the love of it. This was all funded from like, I had a little bit of like bar mitzvah money. And then uh, we did like, I mean, really, I did a bake sale once. It was really just like uh, we got some arts funding from my college. Yeah, um, we went on. We split most things. I yeah, think, like we split most things, and... but it was it was pretty scrappy, like fundraising and just a little bit of cash. But we were at, you know, we didn't. You can see the production values weren't always incredibly high. Yeah, yeah. But that's what no, but that's you say that sheepishly. But like, that's what makes it so amazing, though, because it really feels like. You know, when you're, I mean, I, I don't know about everybody else, but when I was a kid, we put on like plays in my neighborhood and we made little movies with my siblings and we would always like, you know, take, uh, you know, uh, old clothes and uh, tin foil. Like we, I was obsessed with LeVar Burton and Jordy LaForge as a kid. So I would just make, I would make little visors for everyone. Every character in all of our movies that we made when I was a kid had Jordy LaForge visors all of them um and and but that's i think that's what's so communicable about i mean at every stage of this it's it's that very diy but not in a like oh good for you you did it yourself like like really like it's pure enthusiasm just like pushing everything forward we just rewatched yeah. a lot of footage yesterday uh, and it really like stood out to us that even if it was a half-baked idea or even if it was you know you know we have tinfoil wrapped around our arms it's like a hundred percent commitment the whole time like that enthusiastic commitment to th- in service of the project that i think yeah, definitely sings make it real all the time sure. uh but we had we had so many people help us and like watching those tapes everybody like every person who'd walk on screen i'd be like oh yeah I can't believe like they gave us that much of their time or I, uh, that's uh, Mark. Mark did our uh, graphing calculator puzzle for that adventure. And there's a, you know, a, a Ziggy and Ziggy was father time and he helped us write the script and like for this part. And so there just were dozens and dozens of people who gave a lot of time and it's, it was really fun to watch some of the tape and just, yeah. I, I mean, I'm like, man, I want to reach out and thank some of these people I haven't seen in de- decades plus. Yeah, I've been, I've been sending some people your podcasts of people who had, yeah. had helped out. I'm really curious about the about the band. We talked about the band in the episode. So I was obsessed with this band called Totally Rad with two Ds. Uh, I love them. I they didn't know him from Adam. And as we were getting ready to do the rock opera, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. It's worth a shot. And I wrote them from a, my, a Zane Figium email address and, from the future. Oh, and I really did. I, I asked them <laughs> if it, I told them that it was of dire importance that they record music for an event and that it would, and the fate of the world would rely on it happening. And I didn't hear anything. <laughs> and I just like got complete radio silence. And like three, three months later, probably two, two months later, I just get an email response that from the lead singer who was like, we are here in service of the future. Nice. And yeah. it was just like a total uh, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so totally rad. Like <laughs> they, the guy's name's Neil Shu uh, and Neil, uh, I wrote all the lyrics and just would send him lyrics and he wrote all the music to the rock opera 
And then we said, we'll fly you out and give you booze and a place to sleep and, and uh, you know, three square meals. And they came out for a week basically and rehearsed with us and then put on the show and they fucking killed it. Yeah. They're so good. Is there a, is there a full recording of the whole rock opera thing? So yes, yes, there is. Uh, But for 20 years, it's been in about like 30 different tapes because we have like (laughs) mini DV tapes because we had like five different people filming it from different angles and close-ups and there was a, the observer you know about who was uh, filming the adventure. Um, so we've got it all. I am I'm unemployed right now, <laughs> so I'm going to work on that and put it together. But we would we we would love to see it come together in, in yeah. a way that is watchable because it's I, I know it's sort of like this missing piece when you can't see it. I'll, I'll say right here and now. Whenever that comes together, like however you choose to put that out or release it, we will whether it's like us doing it on our page or just like sharing it, we will do a live stream of that and, sh- and share it with our audience. Oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah, sure. yeah we'll, we'll definitely let you know. Yeah, I'm going to be working on it for the next few months. The, for sure. Those songs, there's songs that are just like bangers. Like I still. <laughs> no, they, yeah, they, it's, awesome. it's good music. I mean, I've done a lot of musical stuff and I've and I and I've like been interested in uh, people who use music as part of storytelling or sketch comedy or or whatever. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, even when it's good, it's like, this is funny and these songs are funny. But the the music from the rock opera and the little bit of it I've heard, because there are some recordings. There's a few, there's like some demos that have been, I don't even remember where I saw them. I've, oh, I've, I, I think that's our, I think that might be our YouTube page. Like, did you see the one, did you see him do Father Don't Bother? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's. But the music is genuinely good aside from its part in the in the story or the or the comedy of it. it there's there's they're good songs. That's all totally rad. So yeah. they, I think I don't think they're a band anymore. Neil still does a lot of music projects, but, he, you know, they were doing kind of like an electro synth punk thing in L.A. And they had a, like an EP out and a, an album that I was just obsessive about. Uh, I think it's called Dress All Dressed Up. That's the that was the song I was obsessed with, but yeah, they're they're they were great, and it was just uh, that we were we were (laughs) yeah thumbs up. Uh, What was the other one? Vision Quest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, we were just lucky that they were so cool. (laughs) Basically, yeah, Yeah, they were great to work with. That's the lost tragedy of like the the early like MySpace days, where there'd be like these weird these little bands that just weren't signed at all. They didn't even really have a following. Oh, that's a thousand percent how I found. And you could be like obsessed with them because you just see that you just see them on MySpace or whatever. Yeah, I followed their MySpace page and I would just listen to the music they had up over and over again. And yeah, now everything is like algorithmically determined. So that just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, What what um, how did how did the first art show come about? Yeah, I mean, there's some of the details are a little lost to time i mean it's me it's me (laughs) i i was uh, i went to school in ohio and i had been working on the project and we had so i think one of my professors talked to a curator and was saying that oh hey my student is working on this kind of interesting thing and so the two curators approached me about like what would it look like to create an exhibit out of it and i hadn't really you know that was not something I had ever thought about. And then I was like, I, 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 my first thought was like, well, how can we do it and not 
have our identities revealed. And so originally the first, the first go of the exhibit, our names were taken off of it. So it was an anonymous, it was like an anonymous project or, or the project was like made by Zane Fadium. So there was no way that the internet could find out about it. And when it went to North Conawanda, they didn't do what we asked. So they put our name, like it never was supposed to have our names on it. Yeah. Um, and so by the time it got, or I forget which gal, no, it wasn't North Tonawanda. It was the one before that. There, there were three exhibits. One, one was on my college campus. One was in Cincinnati. Um, and the other was in North Tonawanda. And the Cincinnati one, I think, forgot to take our names off of it. So that's when we had to decide how to course correct. Cause we're like, okay, no one's figured it out yet, but it's out there it's now. Gonna happen, it's yeah. going to happen. So we have to start strategizing for what happens when they reach out to us. Oh, and that, that those messages that you left yeah. every day that were like, Hey, Colin, what's up? Yeah. So, Oh, go for it. I just wanted to ask, was that, was that actually your number or did you get a second so number? I knew that I knew that when our names were released, that it was going to come back to yeah. that it would ultimately my name would surface. And then Colin would make the connection with his friend who knew our childhood best friend. Yeah. It was like, and like it would, it would come back to like to, Oh, well here's Dylan's home number in Minnesota, which is where I grew up. So I knew that was going to happen. We, there was like, it was inevitable. So I called my mom and I just said, Hey, if someone calls here saying, asking for information about me, give them this number. And it was the number to my dorm room phone, which I didn't have. Oh, so I'd okay, never, right. I'd never yeah, yeah, used yeah. it before. So I just oh, set, right. up we an, had landlines, I set up an answering <laughs> machine that just went to that number. And I knew the only person that was going to call it would be someone who asked for me by name at my house. And I did my the, mom. I did the same thing with my mom too. Like she, I was like, if anyone calls asking about me, tell them to call this number. And, yeah. But it was Dylan ultimately yeah. that was doing the messages. But. And then I just set the message and would look every day to see if anyone had called. Um, but we knew the call was going to come. And I just thought it would be funny to cut it off at the pass with like uh, a message that sounds like it's talking to you at first. Yeah. And we basically were just determined not to like, once it was sort of out in the open, we were determined not to, to break the kayfabe yeah. even like we didn't want, we didn't want this to be over. We didn't want to be like talking to him directly. And so we didn't let, we essentially just didn't yeah. let him talk to us. <laughs> yeah. It was, it would, it was, it would, I think from our perspective, it was concertedly less fun <laughs> if we broke kayfabe. So yeah. Yeah, I I love I love that dedication to not breaking breaking the kayfabe. I'm so and and Dave isn't even really necessarily as much like this, but I'm so slavishly obsessed with not acknowledging that our storyline is like not true that like there's even some stuff including what I'm saying right now that I'm probably going to edit out of this because I don't I just really do not like acknowledging to our listeners that the story is not our actual real lives. But that I, I love that story so much because I was going to ask you about that. That was one of my questions. Is like, how did you orchestrate that? Uh, calling calling your mom and and the the answering machines. And I almost love that it wasn't like this really like deliberate thing that it was you scrambling to try to like catch up. Well, like to be fair, we did it months in advance. It's like we knew it was coming down the pipeline, so we, it was kind of just like setting a mouse trap. But yeah, it definitely was like, oh, well, we got to figure out what to do now. Yeah. It, it really shifted. It was it was the big shift that ended up, you know, it also like freed us a little bit, too, in the sense that we we had more choices now. Like since people knew our names, we didn't have to be quite as careful about certain things. Yeah. And he and he 
I think he was under the impression that he, because it was all these art exhibits that we were these artists. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> yeah that was a, re- a very funny left turn that was never meant to be. But it definitely gave people a lot of fodder to talk about on the forums. So around we, it. we knew the art exhibits were a risk, I think. Yeah. Like and we were like, well, we want to do it because yeah. we can. Yeah, I was like, when am I going to be an artist? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did not consider myself an artist and at like, the time. <laughs> we didn't know. We still didn't quite know where this was going to end up. Yeah. And, you know, it was, yeah. But yeah, it, it, it helped us. It created a new groove for us in terms of like, okay, now we just set things up with specific messages for Colin that are hidden within larger tapestries of public facing stuff. So I think that was another cool wrinkle that, yeah, it was, it was a lot of just like when an obstacle happened, then it was like, cool. So how can we be creative or what can, how can we find the interesting or fun within this wrinkle? Did anyone ever like confront you about it during the project? Like someone who found out that we're, there were like two, mm, no one ever, ever did with me. No. I mean, there were people who there right before the rock opera, there were a couple people who like found me in Ohio mm-hmm. and were like, I'm coming to the rock opera. Okay. <laughs> and, and so I just pretended like I did. I forget how I reacted. I didn't drop. I didn't like right, right. say, yeah, it's me. Come see my show. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like, I, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly, but there were a couple people who, yeah, who tried to talk to me about it. And I just kind of, I don't know. I, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. I, yeah it's been I, a while. Yeah. So it was genuinely some random person in the wild that messaged Colin about because that's that was one of the questions. It's it's one of the most unanswered things in the whole story is is whether or not that person that told Colin about well that too. I, I want to talk about that too. But what I'm talking about is the way that Colin found out about the art show was that somebody messaged him. Yeah, that was what I was curious about was whether that was really some real person or if it was you guys and that was that was part of it. No, was it was real. real. I mean, I think we would have eventually. Like, I think I think if no one found out and we knew that that was a vehicle for the story to continue, we would have figured something out. But that was 100 percent organic. But but on the topic of Dave at the at the airport. Oh, yeah, he was just he was just a real just fan. A super fan. And did he was he working at that yeah, airport? Yeah, he was he was on, he was working when it was happening. At that airport. At that airport. Okay, so he just knew it was coming to his airport. Yeah. And like wanted to meet Colin and yeah. say how much he liked this and yeah, we didn't know him at all. Well, it is it is like I do every once in a while like, you know, like you Andrew, like I do meet kind of super fans every cuz cuz like this this story will bubble up every like 2 to 3 years on the internet. So like it goes dormant for a long time and then someone learns about it or someone decides that they want to like pl- uh, create a, an episode of a podcast or something about it. And so every once in a while, like I will, it will bubble up or I will meet a super fan. And it is very, it, it is very cool that these people were, are, are in, still invested in like, there's still life, like there's still blood pumping within this uh, weird thing. So. <laughs> yeah, it is always this. I'm doing my part to keep it alive. That's, yeah, yeah, thank you. I've, we've wanted to do this episode or I have. I, 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 <laughs> Dave didn't know, but I, I, we did the episode um, purposely where he was hearing the story the for the first time as we I really that. liked that it was very fun to hear your reactions and and, and your like I again your readings were very good they're yeah, very they fun but uh but yeah I've I've wanted to do this episode it's been it's in, it's been in my back pocket since we started this podcast and it's just been like you know a lot of the stories we do are like you know a little bit more dramatic so it stayed on the back burner for a while just simply because it was like I fucking love this story but like 
are people going to care about this? Not and not, not in a negative way, but just like are people are, are our listeners going to care about this story that's just like a delightful tale of the joyous thing that happened? Do you think they did? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We have a, a a Facebook group and you a you're you're both more than welcome to come hang out and just lurk and see the comments from the thread, but man, yeah, people liked it. It was it was a it resonated with people more than we even thought it would. I mean, it was like we have this we have a dynamic where we do we have different types of episodes that we do and we we do episodes that we call Britneys, which are uh like these are ones that are going to appeal to everybody. They're going to get a they're going to get a lot of downloads. Everybody's going to want to hear this. And um and they're called Britneys because we did an episode about the free Britney movement and it was like our most popular episode. And then we have episodes called Lazes. And those are like episodes that are deeply personal and uh, to us and things that we have uh, an immense amount of passion for. But we know that like most people are not going to care about them. Um, And that's because we did an episode about Laz Rojas, which is a a man who created a four hour long demo tape of himself playing a hundred different characters acting against himself to try to advertise his skills as an actor. Um. And so we call them Lazes. And so like this was this was like a hard Laz that was like weirdly a Britney whenever it came out. <laughs> hey, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check out that Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah. The D- Deep Cuts podcast. Well, I mean, our, our page on Facebook is the Deep Cuts podcast. And then we have a Facebook group that you can find there. That's just called the Deep Cuts podcast group. That's how I found out and got connected was uh, a, a comic uh, in, in, who's a friend of mine and it, it has been a student at the theater and like hit me up. It was like, I heard your name on this thing. I cannot believe this is you. Yeah, we got to shout that out right now. A- Emma, Emma, you did Emma. this. You <laughs> yeah. did this. Emma's the best. And and it's funny because I wasn't even surprised. I kind of figured that when we put the episode out, one of our listeners was going to know you. I don't know why, but I was like, I, I guess it's like the, the comedy community is yeah. so insular. I was like, somebody is going to know him. I, I'm like 90 percent sure. Yeah, it was a very cute message to get. And I was like, well, that's fucking crazy. Uh, yeah. And it's it's also funny, too, when like, I don't know, it's. It's it's like not your uh, it's it's not the story I always lead with when I meet people, uh, if you can believe it. So uh, it, it's all it is cool when someone I've known for a while, like stumbles onto it or is like, hey, is this is this the thing that you were involved with? And it's um it's hard to explain yeah. this project. <laughs> <laughs> you may have noticed, but I think you did a great an admirable yeah. job at it. Yeah, because uh, we've struggled with. How do you, well, explaining it in a short amount of time is very difficult. Yeah. You kind of can't, off. like, you kind of can't. Like, the only way you can do it is just to do the podcast about it or whatever. Because whenever I ever try to tell anybody about it, I don't, I just say, read this. Like, that's my only pitch for it. It's like, just read this and trust me. Um, because you you literally cannot describe it in, in an elevator pitch or a, a headline. Because there's, it's like, be, the way that we titled the episode of, like, the the greatest prank of all time like that was that's my clickbaity way of titling it but that's not that doesn't describe it at all that's not that's not accurate whatsoever yeah it's been cool to connect you know it's very cool to connect with y'all it's, it's always been very cool to connect with people who uh fi- you know it resonates with and i made a lot of like cool 
friends in the art and comedy world through this, like from people who were just really excited about it. And, you know, Charlie Todd was starting improv everywhere or had been doing improv everywhere for a couple of years, right. When I started, uh, you know, when the project kind of was ramping up. And so we got to hang out with Charlie and, and Chris Gethard has always been a big fan of the project and a really awesome vocal, uh, you know, uh, I guess the, evangelist uh, yeah an evangelist or like a chronicler like so it's been very it's been very cool to like connect with people around a shared uh, a shared passion of just the the themes and ideas inside of it yeah and there's usually just a point where people you know, it clicks with people why it's so interesting where they're like oh wait a second so he didn't know you at yeah. all and you pretended to be this other person <laughs> And it's like, okay, this is, I'm starting to get an idea of what this actually is. Yeah, I, th- I think, I think Emma, like, she was in, in a little bit of disbelief and like unable to process it because, you know, she listened to the episode and we call you by name. We say your full name and we play a clip of you talking. So it's undeniably you, but she was still like, she was still like, I think this is a guy that I know. Like, she, like, it's so hard to process that. She, despite name checking you and playing a clip of you talking, she still was like, I don't, I think I know this yeah. guy. Yeah, not everyone who knows us knows yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's like, again, it's, I don't know, it's not like a first date story, uh, but it's like something. <laughs> I think you've been up. doing dating wrong. <laughs> yeah, that I, <laughs> no, my wife loves it. <laughs> I tell this it. story on first dates. When I, when I go on first dates, I tell the Velocity Gnome story. Then it's doing its I hope job. It's working for you. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm in a garage right now. So. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it like it, it when you when you hear like I'm sure when you heard the podcast, if someone who knew me, you know, I I, I get that it would be like, oh, I, I, it's kind of weird that I've never heard this, or I'm not sure, but it also like very much lines up with if you know me, you could you could see how I could be someone involved in the project. <laughs> So a couple things before before I want to talk about the final stretch. I want to talk about the whole last thing with him going and the driving around town and all that stuff like that. But before we do, I just a couple things. First thing, I just want to acknowledge that I think uh, just based on available information, I, I think I might have underplayed Joe's role in this whole thing a little bit simply because I just did it. Like I was working off of the information that I had and because you were Zane and you were so front and center. Uh, it just, it, I, I think I just, I don't know. Like, I, I, I just didn't know what his, the, the true depth of his role was. So I, I apologize for that. Oh, quite all right. But thank you. You, you accept? I accept. <laughs> <laughs> and I also didn't realize that you were Shags. Yeah, I was Shags. I mean, you've seen the video of me doing the interview with Colin, right? What, that, for that, that year. Yeah. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was Shags and, uh, yeah, I had a big part of it, but it's also like, Dylan's a Dylan's a very popular, uh, charismatic fellow. So, you know, it's no it's no surprise that he rises to the top. I mean, I just did the storytelling <laughs> show yeah, like, where I, I finally was like trying to condense it into like a moth style yeah. <laughs> like, sound biteable thing. But yeah, I mean, we've always. Yeah, we it was a total uh, joint effort. Like mm-hmm. I said, you know, Joe and I did everything pretty much 50 50. Some things I took lead on, some things Joe took lead on. Yeah. I was the guy who was like. How about we get a Zeppelin to come in and then uh, we drop a ladder. And Joe was the person that like was able to reel me in and help us keep keep on track with like 
very real like keep the ideas in a way that we could execute them yeah i was often dylan was a big a good big idea guy and i was often the guy just sort of like well how much of that could we really do or maybe we could do it this way so it's close yeah we've always made a you know obviously great friends we've always made a good team and then yeah i think colin is the the other person that deserves a lot of the credit here in terms of like it, it just literally wouldn't exist without him uh creating the story essentially creating the narrative yeah uh i really quickly want to talk about this (laughs) Ah, yes i'm very i'm very excited to have this um my old friend tracy from college uh drew that tracy park nice i love the like early 2000s fanfic like art style of it that it's like it's kind of like vaguely anime looking it's like a college student learning how to draw anime. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to have this because like it used to be on the Internet and it's been taken down. And I'm trying uh, to get that back up. I'm working on it. <laughs> Dave, have you had a chance to look at the comic? No, I haven't. I've, I've he sent me some like he's like opened it and sent me photos of it, but I haven't read it yet because Delta. Um, but no, I'm. I want to very, very, very badly. He he sent me those photos, and I was just like, "This, this looks like the type of thing that I would buy at a yard sale, and it would be my favorite thing ever." Yeah, because mostly because you're just like, "What the fuck is this? Like, where, where did this come from?" Yeah, the, it's it's actually not far off because I uh, my during the normal times, the before times when we could go out and do such things as rifling through back issue bins. Uh, my favorite thing is to do that is to just go to like, you know, pawn shops and, and old comic book stores and dig through like dollar bins and whatnot. And I once found a, a comic called Vortex the Wonder Mule. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's an anthropomorphized mule who's a superhero, kind of like in the model of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Cerebus, that kind of black and white explosion era comics. And I got so obsessed with it that I tracked down the original creator, this guy named Mike Halbleib, who just lives in Montana. He he basically put out three issues of uh, Vortex the Wonder Mule, a couple issues of porn parody comics, and then he inked some Avengers and then just like disappeared. And I was like, where the fuck is Mike Halbleib? I have to find this guy and talk to him about Vortex the Wonder Mule. And lo- long story short, he found me and then we started this podcast. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> No, but I did. I found him. I found him on Facebook and like long story short, he was like an, an insurance agent. He had given up on comics completely. And I was just like, I love Vortex, the Wonder Mule. Like you have to make more. And he like, you know, I mean, he's like a 60 year old dude now who's like just getting back into making comics again now because one person was just like, yo, that thing you did was cool. Yeah. Dave, Andrew. We have a mission for you that is very similar to this. Uh, I don't know if you're, there is a Newgrounds cartoon that we watched (laughs) nearly a billion times. It's sophomoric. It's horrible. It doesn't, Uh, it doesn't age well. It doesn't age well, but we were so obsessed with it. And I have tried to track down the creator of this and I've never found it. It's it's called Yoda gets a boner and (laughs) it is the Newgrounds cartoon and we have endlessly hoped to find the uh, the, the creator, the visionary. the visionary behind this thing. I've never been able to find it. And you, you've sent him some. I've sent. I, I found an email that I think might be the person's email, and I sent one. But 
that's that if if you could give us one gift in return uh, <laughs> okay. it would be to track down the the original artist behind behind uh yoda gets a boner well well first of all i i'll start by saying that uh i you know, I, I went to school for, for journalism, and uh, a big part of what I do on this show is just doing insanely deep dive research. I've worked as, a, as an investigative journalist for the news for a year, uh, and uh, we actually, I, I, we we're going to eventually do an episode about Newgrounds, uh, just, like, just, like a, just like an oral history about Newgrounds and like the early uh, Flash animation stuff. So... Uh, I will I will make it a personal mission as part of the research for that to try to make that happen. And if we do that, then you guys have got to go- come on that episode and then just oh, like 100%. and then just have like a like a meet face to face. I mean, it will be embarrassing for both parties for sure, uh, but uh, I I agree. So yeah, the, the challenge accepted. So the the last stretch of the the stuff leading up to the the rock opera, Dave. Do you have any other questions? I do, but it's a bigger question at the end, and I okay, it's, yeah. a, it's a after we're done recording question. I have a I have after we're recording <laughs> off yeah. mic. Oh my! Yeah, it's it's an off the air thing. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um. Well, the we're we're gonna do a a massive drug deal after this yeah. episode, <laughs> apparently. Um. But anyway. Uh. Yeah. So I guess I just I mean we we ask these questions rhetorically in the episode, but like. I just want to know how you orchestrated all the little pieces of that. Like, how did you get the movie theater to let you go into that theater when it was empty and how did, and let you like have a fight in the lobby? How did you get all those like little shops to participate with the little like, you know, meetings of the characters? How did you orchestrate the, th- the show at the, the rock opera at the theater? Like, I'm just curious how all those things came together because that's the missing piece. The story stuff is exhaustively covered by Colin, but the stuff that I want to know is, the fucking nuts and bolts of like how this stuff came together. So Joe and I were writing it. Uh, you know, Joe was, were you still in Philly then? I was still in Philadelphia yeah. and we, we wrote the whole script yeah. back and forth together. And then I was the point person on the ground in Ohio. Yeah. So, so it was, it took place in Ohio yeah. near his college. basically. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, at the rock opera is the yellow Springs theater, which is my college town's theater. So I was a, a hybrid theater and communications major like a self-designed major. And so this was my senior project. So I got to use the theater for my senior project. The, everything else is some combination of it was 2004. And so it was easier to do like, uh, like, like they didn't care that we had a fight in the movie theater. We didn't reserve it. It just was empty. <laughs> like there was yeah. a lot of just like kind of luck. Um, and and, and we've seen the footage of her like have basically attacking Colin with scissors in the It was there. way more violent than I, <laughs> I I had never seen it. I had never seen her attack Colin with the scissors. It's like we weren't able to be there at that yeah. first adventure because we were already like starting the rock opera, the, the first half yeah. of it while they were doing it. But uh, so so yeah, so basically I kind of went to all these businesses. I said, hey, we're gonna do this uh, art project. Um, are you okay with it happening here? Is there anything I need to do or sign off on? Or and some people said no, and some people said yes, and so we we went with you know where we got the affirmatives. Um, with the the there's a town near Yellow Springs, Ohio that has like seven Halloween stores in one town, and like Christmas stores and Halloween stores, and that's the vibrant industry. God, I'm sure it's gone now. Uh, as I said it out loud, I was like, there's no way this town still looks the way it did. Uh, 
20 years ago. Uh, but at the time, its entire main street was Halloween and Christmas stores. And so I thought that would be a very fun location to take Colin. And it would have a couple places that were a little more like fantastic. So we talked to the clerk at one of the stores and we asked her if it would be okay if we brought something in that we would pretend to shoplift. And her job would be that when she heard the magic words to faint. And so uh, every, and if she could get everyone in the store and also possible, to catch Colin too, it was like yeah, stopping yeah, to like, stop him. So we like, basically hey, sir, stop right there. Told, told, and, and she was game, you know, it's a town with seven Halloween stores. It was a pretty good bet that they would be okay with doing something weird. Um, and, uh, and Darwin Thinder Sissel yelled out like the magic words and she's just like, what? yeah, she <laughs> drops and faints. So it's like, <laughs> that was like a lot of these things ultimately were like, we'd have an idea. Like that was the core idea. How can we, can we get the con and this wizard to shout out magic words and everyone in the store fall down? So like, it, it looked like they were put to sleep. So that would be the impetus for the idea. And then I would just go talk to the store and see what version of it we could feasibly really make happen. happen. And they were like, you you overestimate how many customers we will have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, clear sailing. There's no one in here. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, yeah, not not Halloween. And we the 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 unsung heroes of this project are the the clerks and the servers and <laughs> yeah, people, yeah, different really people that brought uh, envelopes to the table and things like that are. Those, those yeah. are the unsung heroes. A lot of people said yes, and then we had people on the ground in Ohio. So I had. Uh, I had like a full theater staff working on this basically. So we had someone communicating with the team that was out on the adventure and then they were running certain items back and forth. And I, you know, so we were, we were coordinating with a full team of volunteers. And so they were helping me with the timing of everything. Um, and then we knew, okay, the rock opera starts at six. We call the Collins estimated arrival time is around six 30 and then we'll, uh, and as long as we can line that up and the video, like, so the audience sees Colin entering the theater on the video and then Colin opens the doors and there's like a song playing, uh, exalting him as the Messiah and the savior of the future, then we've done our job. And so like, that was the big coordination effort that needed to happen. And for the most part, we did a good, like there, there was one moment where we had to stall the adventure a little bit because they were going too fast. Um, to catch up to the show but other than that it went pretty according to plan like we had enough weirdness in there like enough enough stalling adventure things yeah and, and nuts and bolts like we we sat down a day or maybe maybe just a day ahead of time with all the actors and we're like all right here's the basic schedule of what you guys are going to do like take take them here take them here and now you guys kind of can figure out like what you're going to say and when how exactly you're going to accomplish that but yeah, we we basically timed it all out ahead yeah. of time and did like sort of a mini rehearsal. Yeah, we did a dry. I think we did a drive run where we did all the driving and to see how long to, it would yeah, take to make sure that we were staying on time. Um, yeah, same with the adventure in Minneapolis. I remember we did like a drive ahead of time yeah. to see how long it would be between the places. And then, yeah, and then the stuff in the adventure, like all the stores were pretty cool. Like the bookstore that we went to, we said, hey, we're going to plant this book somewhere in your store. We're going to have two people in costumes coming in. And uh, like they were they were OK. And I, I even like watching the tape yesterday. I was like, oh, I know the clerk at the store. I guess I knew who was <laughs> yeah. who was there that day. Um, and so, yeah. So then Colin goes into the bookstore. Uh, he solves the riddle and finds like a book of himself. And that's finds where he yeah, finds the comic book. So. That was like, again, the the experience we wanted to create was what if you found a book that was about you 
And so then we were like, what's the coolest or the simplest way we can do that, where we can make that an effective point in the adventure. And I think another thing I want to add about that pre-adventure before the rock opera was we wanted it to seem similar to what we had done the year before. So he was kind of lulled into this, like, okay, I know how this is going to go. I'm going to solve puzzles. I'm going to go around town. And then the, the shift, the shift where he's being ushered into on stage with a, with a crowd. We wanted it to be like this huge surprise. So he had this expectation that was subverted. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of like, you know, and this was before I, I had spent a ton of time doing like comedy training, but it's a lot of shit that really lines up with like set an expectation and subvert it. And like, uh, you know, a lot of these very uh, t- as old as time kind of mechanics that, uh, I think we 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 kind of discovered organically uh, and yeah. So. And then the all the people he met during the day, the world warriors, uh, come back in the play and fight me. So it all sort of wraps together. Yeah, we wanted it to feel like a, a Final Fantasy kind of uh, Conan two get get the world warriors together who all have like very specific yeah, disparate skills that can then be used in uh, uh, to, as a, as like a cohesive attack on the last enemy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which one of you? Which one of you was Grace Jones? That's the real question. Yeah, I got, okay, I got it. All of us, if we're being yeah. honest, all of us are Grace Jones. Um, if we, when we've talked about doing other projects similar to this, uh, one of the things we we always hit on is oh fuck, I forgot my the Maniac Mansion. Yeah, uh, the way you ethos. can talk about that. Yeah. Oh yeah, the the yeah. the multiple people coming together with uh, their own. Skills. Uh, skills basically so we wanted in our next project to get like three people together one of them you know maybe one of them's a good accountant maybe one of them's a good carpenter maybe one an of archer them is, <laughs> or, 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 maybe they like archery or they're or for some reason they can pick locks we wanted like three people to come together and then use these skills yeah to uh you know to, to solve we, we have a mostly written project that we wrote probably in our like mid twenties that was supposed to be a, a version of a real life maniac mansion where we would have like a big, a real life, real life point and click adventure game. Yeah. yeah. So like an application would be mi- m- like mysteriously put on the internet and you would fill out the application. And then the, the four people we choose or the eight people we choose would receive letters in the mail and they would be ushered to a strange mansion where they would all use their skills to, uh, solve an adventure together. Obviously, coordinating something like that is <laughs> much more complicated. We could so. never raise the funds, yeah. but uh, that was that was always like this pie in the sky follow up project that we we wanted to do. I I fucking love that. I mean, I love Maniac Mansion. I Day of the Tentacle is probably my favorite. Top, definitely top five. Yeah, I mean, we're hugely uh, influenced by video games, obviously, and I'm I was I played all the point and click adventure games that maybe have ever been made. So I was hugely influenced <laughs> by that too. Wanted those kind of puzzles to be in there. Was I right? Was Ultra a real life hairdresser? It was not a real life hairdresser. <laughs> this was one of the few places that you were wrong. I, yeah, I, I feel like I, I feel like I hit a lot of nails on the head. I'm, and I'm surprised that that one was not right because I was so, I was like, just my, my inductive reasoning. She was an actor. And like, honestly, my campus was a lot of people with DIY haircuts. Like it was a lot of concept <laughs> hair. I think it was just in the air. <laughs> I mean, it was a bold choice to was, actually, I mean, like she made a bold choice to like cut Collins. Hair it, was and vice cool. versa. it was good. I mean, it's awesome. We just watched it last night and he's like, okay, I'll take a little snip. And she goes, no, a big, like <laughs> cut a lot of my hair out. <laughs> 
I guess the last thing about that whole thing is, you know, just I, I mean, I guess maybe you've already answered this, but, you know, just, ha- you know, how did you put together the, the sets and all the props and the costumes? Like, was that just a big team effort with all of these, you know, friends and people that you got together? More or less, like there were a lot of different skills we needed that I didn't have. And you um, got to leverage like people from the theater department. Yeah, so, right? yeah. I got to work with some awesome people at the Antioch Area Theater. Um and so I did get some help and we had some things like basically we had scaffolding there. So I was like, okay, let's make the set, the base of the set scaffolding and make it feel really post-apocalyptic. Um, and then we like, oh, we have this weird um, hydraulic lift. And I was like, okay, well, we could put the band on the hydraulic lift and it can spin around and like really center them as the centerpiece of the, so there were certain things that were there that we played with. And then there was stuff like, okay, I knew that we needed to do some welding if we were going to build a doomsday device. So we had the doomsday device. I don't know if you guys could see, but it like moved and spun around and like had a turret that could go up and down. We can probably send them a clip of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so I like found a friend who was a welder in the Dayton area and he came in like two days a week, basically with me and taught me how to do TIG welding. And we welded this uh, machine together and then we welded the time pod. And then we welded the, this robot that was basically just a DVD player that would play stuff for the exhibit and the gallery. But so it was like little skills. I would either have someone help me learn or uh, would ask a friend who had that skill to, to volunteer for the show. Yeah. We were getting the world warriors together. Yep. Yeah. And I remember working like with the the woman who was working on sound and like in the last week, like collecting all the sound she effects. She did great. We gonna do yeah. She did great. Yeah. Is there anything? Is there any other uh, reflections that you have? I mean, because basically, you know, if you look at uh, Colin's website, he sort of wraps it up of like, you drop the kayfabe, you invite him out to dinner, and you kind of just all kind of bask in this like bizarre thing. But is there is there any other like? reflections on the end of that after it was all said and done that you had or any other thoughts or just experiences that you had with after the whole thing just kind of ended i mean there was a party that night yeah at antioch and at colin was like the guest of honor everyone was it was wild about him like one of the ways i got money from the community activities board at my college was that i had totally rad play a show and so we turned it into a party that night and they played their music at, at like a dance party and then it I went to Antioch College, which is like a weird radical liberal liberal arts college in the middle of like a cornfield in Ohio. And uh, it is a like a pretty wild school, uh, very formative for me. But we had a dance space at the time. And every week there was a school sanctioned keg. And the idea was that everyone would. (laughs) It's a very small school. It's like 300 kids by the time I was uh, graduating. And every uh, every Friday and Saturday, there would be like a school sanctioned keg in this graffiti safe kind of warehouse feeling space. So people could do whatever they wanted in this space. But the idea was that it would be safe because instead of people hiding their their drugs and drinking, they would all do it together and be in a, a, a place where they could support each other. And it was pretty awesome. And so we had this big party that night in that space. And Colin was like the king of the night. Uh, like everyone wanted his autograph and like wanted to talk with him and hang out with them. And there were some people that tried to, to bed him that evening. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was like, it was a pretty wild, fun uh, culmination. It was, it was definitely like the high. Yeah, it was a huge high. Uh, and um, in the, in the weeks that followed, I believe Colin asked us a bunch to fill in a lot of the yeah. gaps that he didn't know about. And there was a lot of that fun, like, 
all right, we'll explain how it happened and what, why we did it and all, yeah. those, all the little secrets. And that was fun. Yeah, it was to- totally. And I, I guess on like last reflections, uh, yeah, ultimately I, I, I went away from this, t- like, this is what I've always been passionate about. And obviously this isn't like, wasn't a job when we did it, but I, I, it, it ended up really informing th- things that are centrally important to like my life and centrally important to like what I, who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And so uh, it took me a while of like kind of meandering around, but I was able to kind of like come back and incorporate a lot of the things I loved about it into the work I do again. And uh, you know, escape rooms and interactive theater. And so it really was so I, I just can't, underline and emphasize enough how centrally important and formative like doing this was for me (laughs) like and you mentioned you mentioned in the podcast too and we're right like dylan did take this sort of like you're just saying dylan took this and continued sort of in that direction with a lot of the work yeah i mean i i definitely took some last turns and like yeah spent a lot of time in bars serving and and doing bullshit and then i got on i got into like promotional tours i did a lot of fucking marketing tours where i was the mc for like playstation's video game tournaments and did a lot of stuff and and yeah what said yes to basically everything in my 20s and then was able to kind of find my way back to to doing it creatively again and i i turned it for me i turned it into basically i I, what i did in those years was i worked for video game companies in los angeles doing marketing for them and it always was, this project was always a, an influence when I was thinking about like, how do we, how do we get the kids to like this game? And uh, so it, it was still always there. I didn't go into the same point stuff, but. Well, but I mean, for, yeah, I mean, it's just like, it helped build my philosophy and outlook. So yeah. like a lot of the things that I still think about when I'm, when I'm looking at design or game design or, or, or uh, experience design is like, okay, thinking like a lot of those philosophies were formed in the forge of velocity gnome. So like we talked a little bit about like, okay, what's the thing you want to get accomplished? What's the experience you want to happen that's central to this. And then how do you create a satisfying story around that? And, you know, obviously we, we did not succeed all the time in this project, but uh, it wasn't, that wasn't the point, Uh, you know? And, and I think the, the education I got through it has really rippled through everything from, from comedy and, and theater and, uh, you know, escape rooms and all the stuff that I've done. So it, it really had a, a, a profound effect on me. I'd like to make an escape room. Do it. Let's do it. Yeah. How, uh, how often do you think about this? That's a good question. Hmm. I, I, it's not like a daily reflection. I, th- I think, I think when I'm taking stock creatively, it, like we talked about it a little bit earlier, but you know, there, there is a little person on my shoulder who sometimes gets in my head that like, this is, this is definitely your peak. <laughs> like this is going to be the thing Me too. that defines your uh, creative legacy. Uh, and so I, I, I think, I, I think about it in those moments. I think about it in friendships. I think about it when I hang out with Joe yeah, for certainly sure. When and, I hang out with Dylan and, and Colin, um, you know, but, but I, I, I would say, I reflect on it. There's, there's something that reminds me about it at monthly for sure. Yeah. I'd say that's accurate for me too. And it, um, it's just one of those things that like Dylan said, I, I look back at it as one of the 
maybe probably the best thing I've ever been a part of. And that, that means a lot. I, so I often look back at it and, and think like, okay, should I, should I just be doing more of this or should I, how do I, it was so, it was such a great experience. How do I bring that into my life now? So yeah, I, I think about it every now and yeah. then, especially yeah. when, but you know, it sometimes it gets lost for a while and then something like this happens and yeah. we remember that we still need to edit together the rock opera. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when the when the embers when the embers start to glow again, it definitely, you know, the internet embers, uh, we we I definitely end up reflecting on it more. So thank you so much for doing this. Uh it's it's really cool to talk to you guys, especially after all these years that I've been like fascinated and obsessed with this story and it's inspired me heavily and uh, I've done a lot of things uh creatively that were either heavily inspired it by it or as I said before, just directly ripped off from it. Um I've definitely bar- borrowed a lot of the ideas and mechanics that I was fascinated by in the in what was done here. Um uh and I I I really enjoyed uh learning some things that I've been wondering about for, you know, whatever, fuck, I don't even know, over a decade or whatever it's been. So now uh, Dave is going to try to unload 400 pounds of of Lady H on you or whatever, whatever she's going to do. Oh, no, talk. it's been it's been a treat. Like, we we really appreciate y'all having us on, and absolutely, yeah, it's it it really means a lot to to know that this it still has impact, and and it still is such like a, both a time capsule and a touchstone to like many things, and that it that it inspires people. I mean, that's yeah. awesome. Great, <laughs> that rules. So hit us. Well, Dave. Dave. All right. So, okay. All right. Well, I didn't know, I didn't know if we were like, if you were actually going to stop recording or if we're just going to record me asking this question as well. So, I mean, like, it depends. Are you going to like, are you going to ask them if they've ever like murdered a homeless person or something? Like, no, 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 it's fine. It's it's, it's not, this is so much more of a buildup than it even remotely (laughs) deserves. This is going to be such a letdown. All right. What's our next job? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be such a letdown. Ladies and gentlemen, junior sleuths of the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency, meme chefs of the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group, and any other listeners of this fine podcast, it is time for, once again, another Pizza Pizza Paparizza Memeritza Celebritza. <laughs> oh, man, this one's, this one's great. We got some fresh ones right out of the oven from our Pizza Pizza Paparizza meme chefs. I'm, I'm into this. So let's start off uh, with uh, another kind of meta self-referential meme here. Uh, this one is from listener Nicholas Shapka, um, which uh, they will, according to this meme, will greatly enjoy me saying that. Um, so the meme we got here from Nicholas is uh, the meme, four-panel meme of the episode of SpongeBob whenever SpongeBob, uh, whenever Sandy invites SpongeBob to visit him or her in her little, like, dome bubble where there's no water, and uh, he's trying to pretend like he's fine with it, but he's drying up because there's no water and he's freaking out. Um, and so it's, like, him slowly just, like, puckering up and getting drier and drier. And um, he's sitting at a table, he's drying up, and he's looking at a pitcher of water to drink. 
and the dried up SpongeBob says me, so it's Nicholas saying it's him. And the wa- the pitcher of water says submitting a meme just for the potential validation of it getting rated highly by two regular people on the internet. I'll never meet. I I take high offense to being called a regular person on the internet. <laughs> so it's ar- already a strike. Um, and then the next panel, he's getting even drier. He says, "I don't need it." An even closer uh close up, uh, an even closer close up on SpongeBob, super dry. He's saying, I don't need it. And then the final panel, he's screaming. And it says, remembering the brief and fleeting high from having it happen the first time. And then he's screaming, I need it. I'm going to go. Uh, I, this is I laughed when I saw this one. This is really solid. I'm going to go seven pizzas. Yeah, I mean, I'm on board with you. I'm going to have to say I'm going to have to say six and a half. Only because they called you a regular person. Just regular people on the Internet. Um, this one. The next one's also from Nicholas. Uh, <laughs> I love this one. Um, so it's a picture of, uh, I don't remember what her name is, re- something in Mean Girls. Um, I don't even remember what her real name is. What the fuck is her name? I don't know. The main, the main girl and the main evil girl. The main mean girl, which I, d- I do know this actress's name and I'm just blanking on it right now. Um, but, uh, it's a picture of her and, uh, you know, if you don't know in Mean Girls, there's a, there's a moment in the movie towards the end, which is notoriously kind of shocking and out of nowhere where she gets hit by a bus, hit, hit by a school bus. Um, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so the first panel is a picture of her and it says me listening to acts one and two of the James Hydrick episode that came out last week, um, brainstorming memes about james hydrick and bob barker come and then the second panel is the bus a picture of the school bus and it says act three uh of course of course referencing the fact that in the james hydrick episode the first two acts are light-hearted and fun and just about this grifter guy and us making fun of him and then the third act was just about how he was a horrible pedophile and did these awful things to children um i loved this i'm gonna go junior fellini fellini junior that's eight right uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with Fellini uh, Fellini full Fellini eight and a half. Um, this this uh the God damn it God damn it the stop the stop the stop the steel organizers are gonna be uh, reignited in their anger this week because we got another Papa Pricey original here. Um, so this meme is the uh, increasingly enlightened meme where every panel is like your brain is even more enlightened until you achieve ultimate enlightenment. Uh, the first one, when it's just a regular small brain, it says, talking about Bob Barker's cum because it's funny. The second panel, where your brain is lighting up, you're smarter, it's a full brain, it says, talking about Bob Barker's cum because it's getting a rise out of Dave, which makes it funnier. The, th- the third one, which is like brain just super bright with like neurons firing, just like achieving enlightenment, says, talking about Bob Barker's cum because you really need to give the listener enough goofy comedy to counteract how dark the episode is about to be, is about to become. Um, of course, referencing the previous thing I mentioned that Act Three got really dark, and then the final panel, Ultimate Enlightenment, talking about Bob Barker's come as an entirely calculated move because you know it'll spark tons of memes in the group, and you're playing everybody like a fiddle. Bro, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go nine and a half. This is like really good. I'm gonna go nine and a half. Nine and a half. Um, and I, I also want to tag on just because I did think it was actually a funny thing that I should have thought of. Um, Eric Dyring. Uh, he added in the comments, he added a final thing to the meme, which I should have added, which was like a further enlightenment where it's like you've attained universal enlightenment. And it's a picture of this body that's just like in the cosmos, just like ascending to the fucking heavens. 
Yeah, it's a photo of Will, Will, William Weller Wexler. Wexler Weller. It's a Philip. Oh my God. <laughs> it's a photo of Charles Wexler Weller achieving universal oneness. Um, and it says talking about Bob Barker's come because it's funny, which is, which is, which is the good, which is the punchline to this that I should have thought of. Yeah. It would have been a full 10 if Eric Daring had done it. Yeah. Um, this one is by Ed Zachary, previous, uh, champion of the pizza, pizza, paparizza, mimarizza, celebrizza. And it's a picture of James Heydrich, uh, using his mind powers to flip the page of a, of a phone book. And he's saying, I have unlocked the powers of the universe. And then the next panel is Violent J. And he's peeking in and he's saying, bitch, how do magnets work? Uh, I'm going to go seven. Seven? Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to go seven, too. Seven, seven sounds like a good score for this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Old dirty Mikey Ling quick. You've outdone yourself. And it is a picture of a wrestler that is about to body slam another wrestler. He's flying through the air. The wrestler on the ground that's looking up at him is like yell, screaming in fear that he's about to be pummeled. And the 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 screaming in fear wrestler on the ground, uh, the text on him says an, an interesting and idiosyncratic topic. And then the wrestler that's about to body slam him, the text on him says kayfabe. Fucking ten. Ten for this one. Oh man, I love it. Ten. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Mickey Rourke. Sounds good. Nine and a half. Oh wait, Mickey Rourke is nine and a half. I thought Mickey Rourke was nine for some reason. Is nine and a half? No, not uh, Elijah Wood is nine. Oh right, Elijah Wood is nine. Mickey Rourke's nine and a half. Okay, cool. I got it. Uh, this one is another Ed Zachary. Oh my gosh. Original. It's the Chiquita banana logo, but the face of the Chiquita banana woman or whatever um, has been replaced by James Heydrich. And then uh, letters have been removed or changed in Chiquita for it to say cheetah, like cheater. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to go Fellini Jr. Eight. I love this. Fellini Jr. Yeah, this is this is like a this doesn't have like the complexity, but it's like it's it's simple and clever and to the point. Yeah, this is like the a power chord of meme. It's just clean tasty you like it it's yeah Fellini for me eight and a half um another this one's an, <laughs> oh my God. An, another one from michael lindquist um it's the astronaut meme where there's an astronaut looking at a planet and then there's an astronaut behind them pointing a gun at them and so the astronaut looking at the planet um he has a picture of andrew wk's face over him and then the planet has a has a different picture of andrew wk's face um over it and then the astronaut with the gun has yet another picture of andrew wk's face over it but the three pictures are all like from his various stages where he looks different you know there's this whole conspiracy theory that he's played by different actors which in reality it's because he's like gone through like physical transformation throughout his life where he gets like really bulked up and then he loses weight and he gets really skinny and so he's like looked wildly different at various stages of his life and so people think that he's different people but in reality he's just like plays with his own physicality to like trick people into thinking that he's a different person um so the per the, so the the astronaut looking at the planet is saying that's a different person and then the astronaut behind him pointing the gun says always has been um i'm gonna go seven and a half eight seven and a half seven and a half seven and a half this one this one's a six and a half for me oh my god oh my god this is from michael michael lindquist it's a meme where it's like showing the scene from scanners where um where michael ironside makes the guy's head explode just that iconic scene 
Um, so I think you are Michael Ironside and I'm the other guy. No. Yeah. I'm Michael Ironside and you're the, you're the head explodey guy. Yeah. So I'm like, Dave, do you want to see my psychic powers? And then you say, fuck yes. And then I say, heads up, I'm practicing gung fu. And then you say, you think I'm going to say no? And then my head, and then my head explodes. Uh, this is great. (laughs) This is fucking great. Um, this is fucking great. It's so fucking insane. It's like, what is this? What is happening? I'm going to go Fellini, eight and a half. I know what, I know what this is referencing. And even I'm just like, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> uh, eight and a half. Yeah, f- sure. Eight and a half. Fellini. <laughs> um, this is another, this is Michael Lindquist, another scene from Scanners. Michael Ironside using his powers to set someone on fire. The text over Michael Ironside says James Heydrich and the text over the guy who's being burst into flames says Bob Barker. Seven. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go six on this one. I kind of feel like it should have been the other way around. Oh, yeah, it definitely should have been the other way around. Yeah, I, I amend that. Like it should it, it should have been it should have been Bob Barker like exploding James Heydrich. But the but the fire is standing in for his cum. Yes. <laughs> God fucking damn it. This one's from, I think, first time pizza, pizza, paparizza, memorizza, celebrizza, entrant Daniel McCrory. Has he done has he done memes before? I don't I don't remember. I don't think so i don't remember now that i'm saying his name i feel like i remember saying his name before which i wouldn't have done unless it was on this so i think maybe he did have entries before but they just didn't win um so it's that it's that picture that you've seen a million times from south park um i haven't watched south park since like the late 90s so i never actually understand these references um but i'm very familiar with the with the images you know you have that one of that guy in a wheelchair in his basement on his computer that's like standing in for like a like a neckbeard nerd guy who's always like saying something like sexist or terrible or whatever and then there's this one which is um i think it's stan's dad um and he's like sitting at a computer his pants are pulled down and he's just, there's just like come everywhere all over him, all over the walls, all over the computer. I don't know what the context of this scene is, but uh, it just the text on it just says it was Bob Barker. Uh, I'm giving this a, a one because <laughs> I, I just hate that we're here. I hate that this is happening. So one pizza. I'm going to give it five. Um, oh, we got to see this one first. Um, no, not that one. Oh, my God. I forgot about that one. We got to we have to see this one first. Uh, so this is from Aaron Dockery and this is in response to, uh, did we, did we look at this one last time? I don't, I don't remember. I think we did. Did we? Ah, God damn it. Now, now it's like we've done so many of these. It's a blur now. And I don't actually remember if we've done this before. I think we haven't. Okay. I'm going to say we haven't. I, uh, so this is Aaron Dockery. This is a meme in reference to the fact that I won the previous pizza, pizza, paparizza, meme, maritza, celebritza. Hashtag pizza, pizza, paparizza gate. Um, so it's a picture of it's I, I'm pretty sure it's a picture of Obama um, giving um, uh, whatever the fuck our current president's name is. Joe Biden. Uh, he's giving Joe Biden a medal at a at a ceremony. Uh, and I think in this photo, like the original photo, it's like Joe Biden is like crying and he's looking like so proud and it, it got turned into a meme. So in this one, though, it's my face has been put onto both people. So I'm giving myself a medal. And this is in reference to the fact that I won. I I gave myself the prize for the pizza, pizza, paparizza, memorizza, celebritza. Uh, I'm going to go six. Six? Yeah. You, you, you've just gone full German judge. You're, you're so you're so cynical now. 
I mean, it's really funny. It's just, yeah, I'm going to go six. I don't know. It's because the ones coming up are so good, and I had forgotten how good they were, and we just saw them when you clicked through, so now I'm spoiled. This is re- It's funny. It's really funny. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Aaron Dockery. It's really funny. But I'm jaded and dead inside right now, so it's a six. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go seven on this one. You gave me that shit. Yours is just one higher. <laughs> I mean, obviously you've influenced my score. Uh, and then this next one is from Mike Miller. Oh my god! <laughs> it's the brain evolution meme, the same one that I did. Uh, thanks for stealing that, Mike. Um, but the fir- the first one it says being mad that Andrew named himself meme winner. The second one, a little more, a little bit more enlightened. Being mad that they only talked about three memes because the last meme, uh, the, the last pizza pizza paparita celebrates a meme. The last pizza pizza paparita memearita celebrates was very short. We only did three. Then, then the next one where it's even more enlightened is just a picture of that meme that we just described. So even though you've given it a six, but Mike Miller is saying that this is like a transcendent meme. Yeah. And then uh, the final one, Ultimate Enlightenment, realizing that the entirety of Deep Cuts is an ARG cooked up by aliens and we're all just bit players in an extra long Bacon and Legs Miami Nights holiday special for Pizza Pizza Paparizza celebrates Happy Pizza Days events. <laughs> I I love this. This is a 10. Yeah, 10. 10. Full 10. Full 10. Like filled to the brim so much that if you take the lid off of it, like pizza ooze would come out of it like it's it's like the whole pizza box is filled with pizza like they made a pizza and then they made a specific pizza to fill in the gaps around the circular pizza in a negative shape of pizza box yeah i mean you kind of have to give somebody 10 when um you know you're going to take this idea of the happy pizza days and incorporate it into the show and not give him any actual credit or compensation yep you're getting paid in tens Congratulations, Mike Miller. <laughs> this one, I just, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even talk about this one. This is definitely the craziest meme we've had in here. And I'm so sad that it's going up against that Mike Miller meme because that Mike Miller meme should win this week. <laughs> he said, <laughs> this is just the same thing that's already happened. It's the same thing. That Mike Miller meme should win this week, but it won't because this is the most bizarre, insane thing I've ever seen. I feel like we got to, we have to build in some, we probably at some point have to build in some kind of handicap though, because Bill Bixby's Oscar is just going to keep making these. And if by this logic, He's just going to keep winning. Like, all he has to do is just make one of these, and he'll win every week. Every fucking week. What is this? What is this? This is the craziest shit I've ever seen. This is from Bill Bixby's Oscar, and I, I find it ironic that the person who uh, makes these memes that you know, keep winning. Uh, their actual real name is not, like, we don't know their real name, so they're actually, they're not getting any kind of direct recognition for these wins it's just getting credited to a pseudonym um but it's a movie poster that defies explanation in every way but i'm gonna try so at the top it says bacon and legs presents mothman's bazooka (laughs) mothman's bazookalypse a prison baby picture a prison baby picture the background just to try to go from like least insane to most insane 
the background is like, is this some kind of weird design? It looks like it's an explosion. Oh, it's, is is it an explosion? It's a, it's an explosion that's like zoomed in on, so it's like an abstract. Okay, so yeah, it's like a super abstract, like d- like collection of shapes and and designs that I couldn't even recognize. I thought it was like jelly or something. Um, and then so there's a, there's a, a a nude man facing away from the camera, so he's like naked and you can just see his butt and he's got moth wings and then he has a banana sticking out of the side of him implying that it's his dick and then at the bottom it says written and directed and starring nicholas cage written by directed and starring nicholas cage um as laz rojas as paul verhoven filmed on location in juarez mexico and then it's got um cheech marin from 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 dusk till dawn as a catholic priest with a shotgun and then some like nun in like a skin tight leather like bodysuit and a face mask carrying a, a machine gun and then Dolph Lundgren from the climax of the Punisher film where he's shirtless with a katana and then these two like aliens that are holding guns and like smoking drugs for some reason and Cheech Marin Cheech Marin is saying Price and fucking Baker, they stole the Mimaritza. And then the aliens are saying, bacon and legs are Price and Baker, asshole. And then the, the catch, the, 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 the tagline for the movie is, they took his fucking memes. They fucked his fucking name. They put him in, pr- in a prison made for fucking babies. Which this is, this is just, it sounds crazy hearing it. It's 10 times crazier seeing it. Now it's time for some fucking payback. This is, this is fucking surreal. I kind of feel like we just have to stop here. Like this, this has to be the crescendo of this episode, right? I, yeah. I mean, (laughs) where do we go from here? This is insane. This is insane. And I, I'm low key not convinced that Bill Bixby's Oscar is not someone else in the group. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not convinced that like Bill Bixby's Oscar is not Aaron Dockery or Mike Miller or Eric Diring or one of the other, you know, Brock McDonald. Old McDonald had a pseudonym. Yeah, like I'm not convinced that this isn't one of those people. I'm not con. It's rec- it's across my mind a few times that this is you. <laughs> More corruption in the pizza, pizza, paparizza, mimaritza, celebritza. How far does this rabbit hole go? What do you think, man? What's your what's your vote for who wins this pizza, pizza, paparizza, mimaritza, celebritza? Oh, come on. You think I'm going to say not Bill Bixby's Oscar? Yeah, I have to say it too. Congratulations, Bill Bixby's Oscar. Your Bacon and Legs presents Mothman's Bazookacalypse is... It's a triumph. It's a triumph. The question is, what do we do? What do we do here? And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The question is, what do, what do we do here? Do we build in some kind of handicap, or do we just, or do we just have to say like, just step up your game? Like, do we say like we have to build in some kind of mechanism for not letting Bill Bixby's Oscar win every week by doing another one of these things, or do we just say simply? Like everybody else has to just rise to the occasion. I think what we'll do is we'll put it, we'll put it, we'll put a poll in the group when this comes out. And the poll will be that there's a limit to you can only win one week in a row or you can only win three weeks in a row or something like that. Or it's a free for all and there are no limits and may the best meme win. We'll let, we'll let the people decide what the rule is. Yeah. I mean, we know what they're all going to vote. What are they going to vote? 
they're going to vote for the limit. Yeah. I feel like the I think that there should be two options. It's you can after you win three in a row, you can't win the next week or the meme, uh, you know, just free for all. But man, Bill Bixby's Oscar truly is the Michael Jordan of making deep cuts themed memes like this is crazy. And the worst part is I get every one of these reference more or less, you know, like some of them aren't directly related to the podcast. Some of them are. But the ones that are, are like, oh, yep. Uh huh. I know where that's from. I know where that's from. I know where that's from. And they're like deep cuts. Like it's not a it's not just like I, I listened to one episode like they're like, this is crazy. This is fucking nuts. Yeah. I mean, we, ha- we haven't talked about our, our alter egos and former uh, television character names, Bacon and Legs for a, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, standing ovation to Bill Bixby's Oscar. Congratulations, and we'll see you next week. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content.